Hello, everybody. Stefan Molyneux from Freedom Main Radio. Hope you're doing well. Ooh, yes, we had six, count them, six callers tonight. And the first couple, man and woman, wanted to know, should they try and find some place to raise their children that isn't so lefty and festy? And we had a good conversation about that. Another caller, a young woman, called in and wanted to know if it's worth going to college if she wants to be a young mother. And we dug pretty deep into the timing of sort of major life events like that. So I think you'll find that really, really helpful. I found the third caller helpful because he wanted to know what I thought about peak oil. I've talked about it in slightly negative terms from time to time. So we dug deep into what peak oil means to me and uh, whether should we, we should run uh, screaming into a sludge of crude. The fourth caller wanted to know about the minimum wage. Why do I have any objections to the minimum wage and what would alternatives be? The fifth caller, yeah, I guess I really think you should listen to this one. Seems very important to me. He has ill will towards his ex-girlfriend, who was a witch. You'll have to listen to that for that to make sense. And even then, maybe it will, maybe it won't. And the sixth caller wanted to know what I thought about women in the military. Did it make sense? And what would the problems be regarding women in the military? And why didn't Trump's appointee bring it up during his confirmation hearings? Hmm. Hmm. Anyway, I hope you'll enjoy the show. It was a really great mix of conversations. Uh, thanks, everyone, so much for calling in. Thank you so much for supporting the show at freedomainradio.com slash donate. All right. Well, first today, we have a couple, Matthew and Kirsten. Matthew wrote in and said, I'm a 30-year-old professional musician, and my 29-year-old fiancé and I would like to have children sooner than later. We live in a very lefty state, so in the interest of our future children, should we reestablish ourselves somewhere more in line with our personal values, or should we stay put and raise our children in a potentially hostile environment? That is from Matthew and Kirsten. Well, hi, guys. How are you doing tonight? Oh, we're doing well, Stefan. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks um, for having us. My, my pleasure, my pleasure, my pleasure. Uh, I'm not going to ask you where. I assume it's somewhere not too far from the ocean? Yeah, that would be uh, precise. <laughs> okay, okay. So I envy the weather, but not the political climate, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and how many kids do you want? When are you starting? What's going down? Uh, well, I mean, we were just discussing earlier today, you know, two or three would be great. You know, one, we'll, we'll take one, but, you know, Three, two, three, in, in that range. All right. Sounds good. Um, it's always interesting to me how the man who doesn't have to do the pushing and grunting often will answer the question. <laughs> just just wanted to point that out. It's like, it's like saying to the woman, how is it moving? And she's like, that's oh, fine. Because <laughs> anyway. All right. Um, and are there other considerations that you have that might influence how you or where you stay? Well, um, there's, you know, family concerns. You know, uh, I moved here about a little over 10 years ago uh, after I graduated high school uh, to be, you know, near family and to help them out. And uh, we were actually getting, we were this close to pulling the trigger on moving when uh, we got offered a really great living situation. We're actually renting a house from my grandfather at an incredibly reasonable rate. Um, you know, and then my grandfather actually fell ill here recently. So, you know, I, uh, you know, that makes it a little bit harder to make the decision to get up and leave, you know? 
Right. And, but, but as far as I understand it, you know, professional musicians, it's easy to make money anywhere you go. Never any market problems. Tons of people just throwing cash at you all the time. So surely your options are wide open. Oh, no, no, no. That's definitely true. Um, you know, I, I've spent the last several years, you know, building up a career here, you know, uh, teaching private lessons and, uh, and gigging in bands and stuff locally. And, you know, so that's definitely a consideration, you know, if you, uh, uproot it takes a while to you know kind of reestablish yourself what, what do you what do you call a musician without a girlfriend uh <laughs> i don't know i feel i should know this one uh homeless no. <laughs> i'm just kidding i'm just kidding all right um and um kirsten what's your gig so to speak well i actually right now i'm working at a grocery store which is pretty cool uh, doesn't sound great, but I like it a lot. I actually had been, I, I'm the artist of the relationship and that's kind of, you know, being an artist, that's pretty tough too. So I had been teaching art classes around Baltimore city. And when, you know, when the riots happened, I was working in the city. Um, cause most of the art jobs are in places like Baltimore or suburbs of DC. And so that's, not ideal so um yeah I've, I've just been i'm trying to find something a little more you know stable as far as work goes for now but eventually you know i'd like to do the whole stay-at-home mom thing and then just do my art on the side i mean i paint and draw and you know i i can do that and be a mom well f first of all artist and musician best childhood ever for whoever gets to be your kids you know like i mean that's just too cool for words um, my daughter loves to draw i can draw sharks and spaceships i never really got out of the s's uh, when i was a kid uh, she draws every single kind of dragon you can imagine uh and um i wish i had more to teach her other than here's perspective uh after that things get a little hazy for me but um, yeah, so that's really cool that you guys going to be um, a lot of fun for your kids. But of course, you know, the more fun the job of the parents, often the well, the limitations are are sort of clear, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, what are you going to do for, I don't know, maybe it's early to ask or whatever, but what are you going to do for education for the children? Well, I was actually hoping to homeschool. Yeah. Good. Okay, so... They, they won't be exposed to the toxic environment of government schools or maybe even private schools for that matter, right? Yeah, hopefully. Good. Yeah. Good. So, um, so you already have a huge amount of control over your children's future environment, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, definitely more than, you know, if we were to you know, send them to public school, absolutely. <laughs> so basically it's family that's the problem? Family's a big problem part of the uh, the equation i would think so when you say you lived in a, in a very lefty state what you actually meant to type was we live in a very lefty family well n yes and no i mean it, it's it's there's a i mean there's whew. the family stuff the lefty family doesn't actually live too close anywhere near us <laughs> you know that that's a whole different ballpark of wax i guess <laughs> um but no i mean I guess what we were really worried about too is just like as far as our kids just growing up and having to interact with you know other families that you know might not see things the way they do or people that might be hostile to the idea of me homeschooling even I mean that's kind of anything even remotely traditional or 
conservative at all is really kind of frowned on around here. And I kind of just worry about, you know, I guess more scrutiny on us, you know, for political views. Well, but compared to what, right? So let's say you move someplace that's more on the right, you may face harsher parenting in some ways, right? And so maybe then uh, you'd have some things in common with the parents on the right, but maybe you'd have some other things more in common with the parents on the left who tend to be, you know, kind of granola and negotiate with your kids. And if you could just put the two together, <laughs> you know, know. Uh, a structure without, uh, without violence. But um, there is no paradise to raise children in, except, of course, the reality that now is really about the best time in history to raise your children. No war that you're raising them for. Uh, you're not forced to put them in, in government schools. No polio. Always always a big plus that they're not going to end up in a wheelchair for wanting to swim in a public pool. Um, so uh, you, you have a lot of choices. You have a lot of options. Of course you have. Um, you can sell your art on the internet rather than having to travel around, travel around to galleries. And you can even sell music or um, market yourself on the internet. You can So th there's a lot of options available for parents now that um, really didn't exist before. And uh, I think that's something to be enormously happy about and to relish and enjoy. Yes, without a doubt, there are <laughs> some challenges if you think for yourself. Those don't vanish if you're a parent or not a parent. Um, if it's around family, uh, the most important thing, I think, is that your family have some level of agreement with how you're raising your children. Uh, you, you don't want anyone to be undermining your parenting. That is uh, one of these really, you know, like water wears away the stone, you know, the water that seeps under the stone bridge eventually takes it down. You just don't, I think, want people who are going to be undermining your parenting. So the people around you need to be not 100%, but more or less on board with how you're going to parent. Politics is not really going to come up much when your kids are young, unless you have like really intrusive, annoying relatives or friends who are just in your face with politics, uh, in which case um, I believe there's some kind of spray or you can call pest control or something like that. You can wear some sort of taser shirt. Uh, I'm just sort of off, you know, lots of brainstorming, lots of ways to deal with that. But um, I, I, wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't worry about it too much. Um, and the other thing, too, is uh, there's <laughs> how many how many conservatives do you think that the leftist universities are producing these days? You know, it, probably more than they would want to admit. <laughs> I think a lot of it's huge. Yeah. It's huge. I mean, this is this this like god awful, syrupy, goopy drug positive. Uh, sorry, I know you're a musician, but, you know, like casual drug positive. Hey, let's try polyamory. We can be friends with benefits. We need no structure to our romantic or sexual relationships in any way, shape or form. Uh, this is producing quite a few conservatives because they're just looking around saying, well, this is a ruinous human landscape that I'm currently stumbling my way through. It makes the uh, um, uh, the walking dead look like a stroll through a night at the Met. And, uh, you know, the fact that your kids are going to be exposed to lefty influences. So what? I mean, they're going to be out there anyway. It, they're either going to do it while they're under your tutelage or they're going to do it when they're not under your tutelage, which arguably could be a lot worse. You trust your parenting. You trust your parenting. Um, if you have a great relationship with your kids, if they trust you, if they respect you, if they listen to you, um, they can walk through the valley of the shadow of death and fear no evil. That, that's good. That's reassuring. Um, you, you mentioned something, though, about, you know, the, the parental approval, and it did kind of jog my brain a little bit. 
And and maybe that's part of some of the, the trepidation I feel is, you know, uh, I've, I've discussed having children with my own father before. And, and it's clear that we definitely don't see eye to eye on how, you know, I would want to raise my kids. You know, for example, uh, whoops, sorry about that. Uh, for example, I brought up the topic of circumcision and how I don't plan to, you know, if I have a son, I don't want to get him circumcised. And uh, I don't know. No. Sorry. I. <laughs> I don't want to get him circumcised. Can we can we just try one more run at that? Just humor me and make me feel like I've spent the last 10 years of my life not in vain. Wait. I so don't want to? I, I don't want to have, to have a, my I'm not going to have my child. Not I don't want to. That's a conditional. Oh, such a musician. You guys are so artsy. It's beautiful. Um, but uh, no, you, you, you're not going to have your child circumcised. It's not like I don't want to, right? Yeah. Um, okay. Sure, you know, but my my dad's reaction was very, uh, you know, very emotional. I guess you know he's he's actually a physician himself, so I was kind of surprised, you know, trying to talk through you know the reasoning of why you know the health reasons and all that and why I wouldn't want to do that, and he, he just wouldn't have any of it. It was really uh, kind of shocking to me. Why? Why is that shocking? Um, I just, I figured my dad was sort of a, a reasonable person and, you know. Do you, do you not, I'm sorry, do you not understand how a conscience works? I, I hate to be reductionist, but how is this, I mean, he's a physician yeah. and he has, um, without a doubt, uh, sentenced, uh, hundreds, possibly thousands of little boys to genital mutilation. Yeah. Yeah. No, actually, so uh, if, if he did wrong, if, if he did something wrong, I would expect nothing less than for him to fight that tooth and nail, right? Sure, no, that, that doesn't mean he's right, but I'm just I'm I'm surprised why it's surprising. Maybe. Well, I guess yeah, I don't know. Just the, the reaction, I don't know. Um, but you understand it now, that right? Emotional toward me, you know, I, it was just really shocking. I guess you know, we hadn't really talked about parenting so much, and that was one of the first times we talked about that. And the is a, evidently a sore spot for him. Right. Well, you know, if again, if you've sent hundreds or thousands of boys into the lifelong challenges of male genital mutilation, if you have done something wrong, that is a very big thing to sit with. Because when people have done wrong that they can't undo, you know, like you steal a candy bar, you can return the candy bar and offer to sweep the store or whatever it is, right? There's things that you can undo. You, you can undo that, right? Yeah, yeah. And when people are beyond the point of return, I'm not talking about in general, like in terms of ethics, but when they've done things that can't be undone, they tend to double down, which is why, you know, the left as a whole is doing what it's doing and all that. But <laughs> I just want to remind you that uh, if he did wrong, and I think he did, but if he did wrong, it's going to, you know, sit like a uh, a sideways uh, halibut spine in his throat, right? I mean, it's that's a tough thing to live with. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, you were exposed to your father's particular beliefs and are now, but you have chosen differently, right? Yeah, yeah, very differently. I mean, my dad is, uh, he's incredibly liberal. Um, and I... Wait, what do you mean by that? That's one of these words that... Oh, sure, means- sure. Um, well, uh, you know, he campaigned for Obama in 08 and 2012. <laughs> So, you know, he's a he's a down the ticket Democrat kind of guy. He doesn't even, uh, you know, necessarily even look past that. If you've got a D next to your name, you're all right. (laughs) 
Right, right. Well, hopefully the politics stuff won't come up that much uh, while you're parenting. Um, I assume that he's not a, is he a big spanker? You know, he definitely spanked at, when I was a child. I, I was trying to recall, you know, how often. I wouldn't say a big spanker. It occurred, a, you know, a handful of times throughout my childhood from my dad. Right, right. That may be, of course, when that, if, if and when that comes up. Uh, and it will need to. I mean, if, if you're going to leave your children alone with him, then you are going to need to resolve that ahead of time. You don't want to come home and find out that something happened that you didn't want to happen, right? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. But, uh, you know, with, with your father, I mean, he, he's a doctor, so he goes through continuing education, right, as, as part of the retention of his license. He has to go and learn the new things, right? So this is just you learning the new things. This is just you, you know, he doesn't do the same medicine he did 30 years ago and you wouldn't do the same parenting he did 30 years ago, right? Yeah, yeah, no, that's a, that's a great, great point. Yeah. We improve, things move forward. <laughs> we, we aim higher. And, uh, you know, unless he's willing to use a cell phone from 30 years ago, which is about the size of a Kleenex box, and you have to point it at the satellite, and you can't stand under a tree, and it doesn't work if it rains, if he's willing to upgrade his technology, the technology called parenting should not be, um, it should not be impossible to move it beyond the beta. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, have to yeah, and also, of course, you, you know, when it comes to having conversations with... Parents or others who are older who disagree, it's like, well, aren't, aren't you proud that you raised an independent thinker? I mean, you wouldn't, you know, as a, as a parent, aren't you proud that you raised someone like me who can think for myself and, and process new evidence, new information? I mean, you wouldn't want just me to be a shadow of you. That would scarcely be successful parenting. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I hope that, uh, that he would appreciate that. <laughs> right. I mean, everybody wants independent children until they contradict your values with better arguments. And then suddenly everyone becomes all kinds of Old Testament, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> right. So, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry so much about the environment. You control fundamentally the environment of your children. You know, there are those who say parenting doesn't really matter. It's the peer group that matters. And it's just like, how blind can people be? Of course parenting matters because parents choose the peer group. <laughs> you know, I mean, come on. You, you know, it's like, well, you've got to put your children into government school and then you've got to abandon them to their playmates. Then you have to have people over to your house that you don't agree with. So, of course, parents don't matter. Well, of course, if you're that passive about your parenting, of course you don't matter. But I bet you don't matter to a lot more than your parenting either. So, no, you're in control of the social environment your children are going to be inhabiting. You, um, you know, if um, uh, if if you, uh, Kirsten, stay home, which I hope you will, I hope, assume you will, then you will be the um, the primary authority. You know, children. Well, I shouldn't say children. My daughter. I mean, she really listens. She really listens. If I say, mm, you know, I, I would prefer this, or I'm thinking that, she really listens. And, um, you, you can't, there's no other way to get it. There's no other way to get that sensitivity to what you want as a parent than to thoroughly and, and deeply invest in your children. And, um, if you've got that, you will be the source of their values and they, you don't have much to fear from the corruptions of the world. If you've built that kind of relationship at home to begin with. Wow. Yeah. That's really reassuring. <laughs> yeah. Trust the bond. Trust the bond. The bond is unbreakable. 
And um, if you invest, uh, it pays off enormously. Uh, you know, I always had this theory that if you have the bond and you have the, the um, I say the authority, that doesn't mean bossiness. You just have the legitimacy of your child accepting that you're there for the child's best interests. Then this amazing thing happens that you just need tiny little nudges as you go forward. Just tiny, tiny little nudges. And that is important. Uh, if you can trust that, that the if we if you didn't receive it, it's hard to trust it, right? If you didn't have that kind of parental investment, then it's hard to believe that it works. It's like magic. But here, just use this wand, and everything <laughs> will be fine. But uh, I didn't receive it when I was a child. I mean, I didn't have parental investment when I was a kid and I was shipped off to boarding school uh, across the country when I was six years old for a couple of years and uh, I did not receive it, but I have used it and invested, created that um, bond and that trust. And it works better than I conceivably imagined. And uh, it's again, it's hard to imagine. It's like, you know, those those cheesy movies like believe all you have to do is believe, just believe. And um, in this case, it is true, though. <laughs> it's true. It works. All right. I right, move on to the next caller. Thank you so much. I wish you the very best of fecundity and fertility. And may you have a dozen. Should that be your particular uh, approach. And um, I really appreciate the call. Um, and uh, I'm sure we'll talk again at some point. And uh, let's move on to the next caller. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, guys. All right. Up next, we have Tuvan. She wrote in and said, I'm currently a female sophomore to U.S. Public University. Back in high school, my plans for the future revolved around career. My entire focus was on becoming an engineer because I wanted to help advance technology. And there are many exciting projects I wanted to work on. However, listening to your podcast made me realize that I want to have children in the future, and that seriously conflicts with my career plans. Given the choice, I already know that I would choose to take time off from work to raise children properly, but I'm still concerned about wasting my education, which is paid by my parents and the state taxpayers. What should women do when they're on a trajectory towards a career, but they want to have kids? Does college have a purpose for women who are considering motherhood? Do you think it's a good idea for women to go to college to meet an educated man? That's from Tuvan. Hey, Tuvan, how you doing? Good, thank you. Good. No, listen, I'm sure taxpayers are completely thrilled to to fund your dating service to the tune of $50,000. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I heard that, um, well, from reading a book in that decade, it was actually a common practice it seems though so, yeah you go to college to get your mrs degree right yeah 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 well when do you want to have kids um how many kids do you want to have um i would say sometime in my 20s maybe two or three okay okay uh is there a um donor slash ring bearer in the vicinity or is that future plans uh, no future plans. So. Mm. Engineering degree very time consuming. Yes, it is. Um, so, what was your original thinking around a career and education and children before 
this brain virus called free domain radio got in and started tickling your ovaries or whatever it's doing. Um, what was your original thought? What was your original trajectory going to be? Do you think? Uh, to be honest, I actually thought I would become one of those, uh, childless women. Um, but, uh, most of the women that I respected and admired were childless. And, and, um, there was, um, this weird, um, going around that um overpopulation is becoming a problem and i actually believe in it yeah yeah go on um okay um well uh well so you were gonna like get a career and and then like just maybe at some point or see what happened um, well, I remember, um, at the time I was, um, really interested in startups and I wanted to, like, either join one or start, oh, okay, or start one. And I, I don't know, like, if you want me to go into, like, the various, um, things that I've been interested in engineering. Hmm. Right. And what changed in terms of moving children up in the hierarchy of what you want to get done? Uh, well, mostly I'm um, reflecting on my childhood. Um, I had parents that both worked and it just, um, stunted my emotional growth. Hmm. How so? How do you think that happened? Um, well, well, um, I had a dad who was an engineer and he was the, the main breadwinner and I had a mo- Mom, who was like a nail technician, so she paints nails for a living, and I think she mostly did it for um social reasons. And um, she had to work long hours, and she was rarely around. Right, and your father worked. I guess I mean engineers can put in some serious time at work, right? Um, yeah, for the most part, um, he was uh, mostly the. Not a uh, nine to five guy, so he was actually around more than my mother was. Huh. And so, a nail technician—that's uh, one of these sanitation engineers slash garbage men. So she trimmed and painted nails. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Why <laughs> would she prefer that to your company as a child, or your siblings, or however many kids she had? Like, I mean, that's. That's not like a big calling. You know, the nails are calling me. I must answer the call because there are cuticles out there that need trimming. And I must go to my grave content with my life's work of shaping the nails. Again, it was definitely the social reasons. Um, she had a friend there that were Vietnamese. Um, they're more fluent in Vietnamese than me and my siblings are. So, and um, they have more similar interests and it's like hard for my siblings and I to kind of connect with her. So I'm guessing that's why. Uh, okay. So her English and your Vietnamese was not overlapping too much? Yeah. Right. And if you get, you've got four years to become, like to get your requirements for engineering, right? Then you, you work, you get the, the tin ring or whatever, something, right? I mean, and, and then you can become an engineer. But but to really hit your stride as an engineer, you have to be educated and work for quite a while, right? Uh, yeah. 
Right. Uh, yeah. Like um, I'm, I was thinking that um, I just uh, want to run this um career plan idea by you t- to get a second opinion on it. Um, I was thinking like right now maybe um, I'll just um work in um entry level jobs until I get married, and then mm. after I um have kid have kids, I'll go back to get an master's degree in in a certain specialty um such as like material science or something very specialized. So so that way um I could have the expertise to perhaps become a consultant or a independent contractor afterwards. Right. Right. So you would do your undergraduate now, then have kids, then after your kids got older you would get a master's, is that right? Uh yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean that's that's certainly possible. Whether you want to go back to work when you get older remains it's an open question. You 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 don't know for sure, but um you know maybe you might meet the engineer of your dreams or or the man of your dreams in uh in university um i generally find this uh a challenging question because i've been very influenced by female intellectuals uh, as i've talked about but a lot of them are childless i mean and coulter and and ayn rand and other childless <laughs> unlike the very uh child uh friendly um uh, just other other women phyllis schlafly and so on like six kids and so on but a lot of the people that I admire had the focus of not being kids. So look, I mean, not that I admire him, but if you look at someone like Charlie Chaplin, I mean, he's a complete workaholic, barely spent any time with the kids that I know of because it was really, really a complicated business to make films back in the day. And I don't know. I mean, if if you want to have kids and you're a woman, where you fit a career in is, of course, a very, very big question. Now, the answer that has been given is go out there and work and dot, 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 X, mystery, deus ex machina, something's going to happen where you will just magically be endowed with children. And you know, as an engineer, a failure to plan is planning to fail, right? If you don't have a plan, you will never succeed. You'll never fail that much, but you'll just kind of drift along. If you want to have children, that is a very, very big time investment. It's a big emotional investment. And if you want to have children, it becomes difficult to justify the childcare expenses that you generate as a working mother for the family, right? I mean, maybe you make a couple of thousand dollars a month or maybe more, but how much are you going to pay for after-school care, for nannies, for um, eating out, for um, additional cars and, and clothing and gas and insurance and like, the, the, you name it, right? I mean... If you look at the income that you generate as a working mother compared to the expenditures that you create as a working mother, it's really, really tough to make a strong economic case unless you're like, I don't know, Katy Perry or or something, in which case the moral horror of you working so hard for the Democrats overshadows any cool songs you might have ever come up with in your lifetime. But um so the answer, I don't know. If you, if you want to have children, my argument has been uh, have children when you're young. And then if you want to go and get educated later in your life, then go and get educated later in your life and go raise, 
you know, have, raise your kids at least to the age of five, at least until they can get into some sort of more formal education if you're not going to homeschool or unschool or whatever, and then go and have a career. But know that, that even when you go and have that career, there are big challenges and big sacrifices that your family is going to have to make for you. Because you get married to a guy, let's say you're going to have three kids, and you're going to have them two years apart. And let's say you start when you're 25, or tw let's say 24, right? So then you, you have your last kid at sort of in your early 30s, uh, and your kids still need you, right? I mean, your, your youngest kid is still five years old or six years old. Your kids still really need you, need a lot of time and a lot of attention. The older kids don't want to be set up babysitters for the younger kids. There's no surer way of creating sibling rivalry and sibling resentment than asking the older children to pinch hit for parents who are doing other things than parenting, right? I mean, just watch your brother, watch your sister, watch your brother, watch your sister. They just become these annoying tag-alongs. There's lots of conflicts, lots of problems, lots of fights. And this may be the root of why 50%, conservatively, 50% of sibling relationships are considered to be uh, abusive, uh, downright abusive, not just mean or, or bullying, abusive. And so when you get older, your kids are still going to really need you. But then you're going to say, well, no, mommy's going to go and get a master's. Well, that's going to cost a lot of money. That's going to take uh, a lot of time away from your kids, not during the, the most crucial time, sort of zero to five, but a uh, pretty, pretty significant time period for your children's emotional, mental, and uh, healthy development. So then you're going to go and uh, get a master's. And then you're going to go and try and uh, get a job, right? So you don't have looking for work and looking for work and so on. And then you're going to be starting your career. Now, anybody who starts a career, this is the old Chandler being from Friends saying, like, if you start a career and you're in your sort of mid-30s at this point, well, there are people who have just come out of school at 22 who have no kids and you'll be competing with them. You'll be 12 years older and you'll be competing with the uh, kids who have no kids and can work all night. I mean, I remember this as an employer. You know, we had the young bachelors for the most part, and then we had the married people and the married people with kids. And come five o'clock or four thirty or whatever, the married people, boom. You know, it's like they got teleported out. <laughs> but uh, you know, the um the bachelors and I was still a bachelor at this point. I mean, we could sit there playing land games and working on coding problems till the wee hours if we wanted, and then we can go to a disco. <laughs> so uh you just it's hard to compete. Uh, once that kind of time frame starts to swing around. So then the question is, what do you do with all of the social goods that have been invested in you? You are somebody who's trying to have a career, who has primary responsibilities for taking care of children. You will never be as available to your employer as if as someone who does not have primary caregiving responsibilities for children. And again, this is not, you know, get mad at me all you want. It's not, it's not my fault that we have these giant brains that take a quarter century to mature. I mean, it's just the way <laughs> that nature built the most efficient brain she could. And that involves blocking a lot of um, primary caregiver potentials. And uh, I say this, of course, I hope I have some credibility uh, as um, a primary caregiver myself. It inhibits you. It uh, constricts you. There's a lot of things you just can't do. Uh, as I've mentioned before, I used to write two books a year. I haven't written a book in eight years uh, because I am a parent. And so I know you you have to give up. And I don't wake up every morning saying, oh, I can't believe I don't get to write this book. It's like, man, I honor my choices. I really wanted to become a father. I'm incredibly happy I became a father. If that means less typing, well, I guess I'll just have to find a way to live with the actual creation of a beautiful human spirit rather than some typing. So, um, it is a challenge, you know, this, I, I want to give you 
you know, Tuvan, I want to give you sort of realistic ideas of what may be down the road that um, you may get into your 30s and you may say, well, I now want to go get a master's and then I want to go and get a job and then I want to work to compete, right? And, and employers are going to look at you as a woman in her early to mid 30s who has a working husband and who has three children um, who are, you know, five, seven and nine or whatever. They're going to look at you and they're going to look at some 22-year-old man or woman who's got no dependents and they're going to say, well, who can work more? Well, clearly, without the competing interests of children, you can get a lot more work out of the bachelors and the bachelorettes than you can out of the married women with children or the married men with children for that matter. So what does it mean? Does it mean you can't have a – well, of course you could do anything you want. I mean, there are people who do it and there are people who make those sacrifices. But – the other side of the coin, this is not necessarily something you have to process all on your own because it's your personal pleasure for what you want to build. But it, it bothers me when women take a lot of education and then go have children because society is just, it's, it's wasted that education. Not, not because you're not a smarter person or better person. It's fine, but you could have learned that stuff online. You could have read books or whatever. But if you train to become an engineer and then don't end up becoming an engineer, society is short one engineer. Like this is one of the reasons why economic growth is not occurring because we're training a lot of women who then go out and uh, have children. Like in a recent uh, study, um, half the women who had, uh, who got an MBA, half of them weren't even in the workforce. Okay, well, that's great. So society pours hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars, millions of dollars into this uh, particular cohort. And they don't get the social productivity out of it because you don't need an MBA to raise children. And we trained women to become MDAs, uh, 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 MBAs and they ended up uh, not being in the workforce. And that means that we're down that many MBAs and that much economic productivity, that much economic growth. And again, you can do great things and, and you can still be an engineer and all of that. But um, I just really want to be clear about what I see, at least uh, at this side of the decision matrix, uh, as the challenges. And um, if you wait until your kids are older a little than that, you can get your um, master's in your late 30s and then you can enter into the workforce in your early 40s. Ah. You know, you, you do begin to slow down just a little tiny bit uh, at that age. And um, when it comes to, you know, what I thought of when I was looking at your letter, when it comes to want to help advance technology, well, the most amazing technology is children. It's not a touchscreen, right? The most amazing technology is not a slightly more efficient battery. The most amazing technology is the human brain. And you are going to be able to build and shape and mold human brains. And I don't know, I, I'm not an engineer, although I've worked a lot uh, with software and technology and coding. Um, there's nothing like it compared to an actual human brain. So there's a lot of problem solving involved in raising children that engages the engineering side of my brain, like the software coding part of my brain, the rational part of my brain. And um, th this is no particular answer, but um, my feeling would be that if you do want to have children young and if you want to have children being young is the time to do it, then I don't know. Do you need to be in college to meet an educated guy? I don't know. 
there's online, you know, there's um, ways that you can introduce yourself. You can go audit courses and, and meet people. You can go and chat uh, with people in the cafeteria, with men in the cafeteria or anything that you want. You don't necessarily have to be taking the courses. In other words, you don't have to be consuming the social resources that someone else will put to much better use in order just to find a man and uh, and get married. And a smart man is going to care about your brain's not your paperwork. Uh, and he's also going to know that if you're going to have his children, then there's not much point you getting super educated and then dumping out of the workforce for like nine years to have and raise children. Um, so a smart man, I don't think would hold it in any way, shape or form against you. In fact, I think he would respect your decision-making abilities in those areas. So that's sorry for that long speech, but I hope that makes some kind of sense about some of the parameters around this decision. Oh, it would really helpful. Thank you for that. Um, it's just that, I, uh, I don't know, like um, if I quit um, my degree program, now I just feel like I don't have any other plan and, and not having that is frightening to be honest. And so like I'm just um, going along with it and I just don't have any plans on quitting and I think mm. um, a lot of women are like on the same boat too like even if they don't um, register it um, consciously that they want to have kids but um, they might not have time for a career at the same time sure sure well um, would you consider I mean because you're going into a you could say a traditionally male although there's lots of great female engineers would you say that um you are not i'm trying to think how best to put this would you say that you can do anything a man can do um in terms of um in engineering right you backing. wouldn't say well i can't do that because i'm a girl right i mean in terms of engineering you can do anything a man can do right yeah very much okay so if you want to find a good provider and, and have children, then have you asked many men out? Uh, no. Why not? Because you um, can do anything a man can do, right? Uh, yeah. I know it's uh, something I've definitely been procrastinating on. But uh, Why? It can't be it can't be harder to ask a man out than to build a suspension bridge or design one, right? Yeah, pro probably not. Um I Is there is there a man that you like in your uh, environment or that you'd be interested in at least asking out on a date or going on a date if he asked you? Uh no. No? What do you mean? You're surrounded by men. It's an engineering course. There's not one man you're interested in? I guess I haven't paid too much attention to them. Uh, uh, I mean, like, I'd really like to. <laughs> They're everywhere! <laughs> I'd really like to date an engineer, but the ones um, I talk to with mostly are mostly older than me and are already taken. <laughs> are they taken, like, uh, married or just they have oh, a girlfriend? They have a girlfriend. So? <laughs> Until you get a ring, it's open season, baby. Yeah. Uh, no, I've never been the type of girl that that could feel comfortable with 
um, taking a man away from a really. You know, if you want to join a startup, let me tell you, I've been in a startup. Let me tell you, <laughs> too bad. If you want to join a startup, uh, you better get used to taking stuff that other people don't think you should have, like contracts, like relationships, like customers. Uh, you got to swoop in and you, you know, well, we already have a contract with so-and-so. Don't care. Still going to outbid. Still going to outsell, right? I mean, that's entrepreneurial stuff means shouldering your way in where there are pre-existing relationships. I'm not saying, you know, go break up people for the fun of it. And, you know, if someone's engaged, fine. But uh, I have a girlfriend. Eh. You know, I mean, um, uh, employers do this all the time. Well, I already have a job. Don't worry. We can make you a better offer. They don't wait till you're unemployed. If they really want you, they don't wait till you're unemployed necessarily. You know, assuming they're not going to break any contracts or anything like that. But, you know, people get poached all the time. Um, it's just, that's the, that's the game, right? Okay. Yeah. The game I'm very new to. Well, but this is what I'm pointing out that if you want things in life, I want people donate to donate to what I do. So just about every show I ask them, I urge them, I Maybe even insist a little that people go to freedomainradio.com slash donate. Why? Because you'll never get 100% of the things you don't ask for. Like, if you don't ask for something, you will never, ever get it. Okay, yeah, I'll keep that in mind. And if you want to get married and have children younger, then you better start looking at guys as donors and ring bearers, <laughs> right? I mean, you need you need the man jam to make the babies and you need the man bucks in order to raise them, right? And you know, you're an engineer, you know that everything's in the planning, almost nothing is in the execution. It's like software design. Almost everything is in the specification, very little is in the actual coding. It's all in the plan. And if you have a plan called, I'd like to have some children, younger rather than, you know, before I'm giving birth to stegosauruses, Stegosaurus eye? Anyway, well, then have a plan. Have a plan. Have a plan. Approach a man. <laughs> ask for his jam. No, have a man. Approach. Uh, have a plan. Uh, approach a man. Ask him out and uh, get, get what you want in life. You, you're not going to get a lot of prizes for not getting what you need. There's no consolation prize called not getting what you want in life. So it's just, I, I'm not saying go out and, you know, do it tomorrow, 150%. But if that's where you want to get in life, then I think that's where you have to start planning. Okay. Because listen, <laughs> I tell you this, as a guy too, too man, it's kind of annoying when women are like, oh, I can do everything a man can do. I can be an engineer. I can be an astronaut. Well, would you like to ask a man out? Oh, no, I couldn't possibly do that. What? <laughs> What? Oh, so you want all the man stuff that's well-paid and fun, but you don't want any of the man stuff that's emotionally challenging, like dealing with rejection or things like that, right? Well, if you want the man stuff, I got no problem with that. I mean, go for it, right? I like some of the girly stuff too. If you want the man stuff, then take the man stuff. And that means if you like a man, ask him out. But it just seems strange to me that women are very like, well, I want all the man stuff when it comes to the well-paying jobs and the, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. 
But uh, suddenly everyone gets all Victorian on the female side when it comes to asking uh, a man out. Not not always, but it seems to happen uh, quite a bit. And uh, it just it's you want the man you want you want to be equal to man. Good, be equal to a man. That means dealing with rejection. Yeah, well, I didn't um, join engineering just because of the whole feminist um, narrative that women have to go in and equalize things so women can be just as capable as men. So I do see a lot, a lot of that influence in high school and uh, and um, I have a sister who's also um, planning to be a biology major. And I honestly don't know how to talk to her about this. Does she want children at all? Um, she probably does. She's more motherly than I am. Right. So excellent. We'll be down one biologist and one engineer. <laughs> <laughs> excellent. Uh, man LARPing, the new hobby. Um, well, I would say that... Um, if you want to have kids, you're going to need to find a provider. Where you are is not a bad place to find a provider, right? Engineers uh, tend to have a combination of, you know, high income and poor personal hygiene that makes them very solid and dependable mates. So it may not be the end of the world for you to, I guess, fish where the fish are and uh, try and get a man while you're doing your degree. If if you fail, okay, you fail, that's fine. Uh, but if you succeed, then you do get what you want. But to me, the worst thing would be if you want to have kids, you graduate from school, uh, from college, university, uh, without having found the man that you want. Um, because then you've got to, what, where, where you're going to you try and find them in the workplace? Well, uh, men are getting older. They're married now. They're, you know, <laughs> whatever. And you don't want to be trolling around a marriage. That's god awful. And so um, I would apply myself now, if I were in your shoes, I would apply myself now to trying to get uh, settled uh, before, or at least on my way to getting settled into a stable relationship before graduating from university so that I could get what I want. Um, but waiting for things to happen doesn't work. Yeah, def definitely. So um, do you have any advice for like how I talk this out with uh, some of my female relatives? All, uh, all of them are in college and three <laughs> of them are it. Three out of four of my cousins are in STEM fields. So. Right, right. Well, you, you can say, of course, that you, you spoke to this horribly sexist man on, <laughs> on the internet or whatever you want to call it, but um, I don't know, you know, Tuvan, it's bringing reality to modern Western females is a very dangerous business because there's, there are just people lining up to lie to women and to to feed women's vanity and to hold any kind of reality at a fairly foggy distance from the eggs these days. It's really, really tragic. I think women can handle reality just fine. And I refuse to pander, which is why we get so many women calling into this uh, show. Now, deep down, every healthy person wants to be told the truth. It's not that complicated. So bringing reality, um, women are literally drugged. I, th I think women respond to to compliments, to praise, to to flattery, um, the same way that men respond to sexual cues. Uh, I think it dazes women. And I think women li live in a state of, of being drugged by praise in the media, by 
uh, appeals to vanity that that appear to be never ending and and absolutely bottomless. Um, I was watching a show with uh, my daughter the other day, and uh, this this I guess boy, the man, I don't know. This man and this woman were playing chicken with each other on dragons, flying towards each other, and. The man was like, well, I'm not turning aside. And the woman was like, well, I'm not turning aside either. <laughs> Who turned aside? Let me let me ask you if you can guess. Um, the boy? Yeah, the boy. Of course, of course, of course the boy. Of course the boy. Because women have to win at everything in these fantasy uh, situations called <laughs> modern statism. Women have to win at everything. And um, so... This appeal to vanity, oh yes, you can, you can, you can have a career and, and, and you can be a wonderful mother and you can be a good wife and you can get a wonderful provider and blah, 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 blah. I mean, the basic realities that are facing women are just not touched on. I really, really care about women and I want women to have great lives. You know, there's this epidemic of eating disorders in middle-aged women. Yay. Why? They've been supping at the bottomless, edible, movable feast of feminism for 60 years now. Shouldn't they be overjoyed? No, they're miserable. I want women to have a great life. Now, if a great life is having kids, I'm going to talk about the realities of that. If your great life is not having kids and having a career, I'm going to talk about the realities of that. But nobody's saying to women the basics that women need to know to be happy. Number one. Your eggs will die long before you do. Your eggs will die and they'll crack and they'll break and they'll weep and they'll die. And they'll release as they die these insane hormones that make you completely baby crazy. Baby rabies, they call it, and it's something to be seen. It's a sight to behold and it usually applies too late. Too late. You're standing over the body of your fertility saying, gee, I wish I hadn't killed that. I feel terrible now. Well, unfortunately, the pool of blood is coagulating and the breath stopped minutes ago, so it's a little too late to resurrect. So... I, just basic reality that needs to be pointed out to women. You can't do everything. You can't have it all, honey. You can't have it all. Men have known this for approximately 150,000 years, but it still seems to strike women with all the surprise of a wet fish coming out of a clear sky and landing in your espresso. You can't have it all. Men have known for thousands of years, if you're out there producing more, you're not home as much. If your family lives in a nice mansion, it's because you're not there very much. You're actually out there working for the most part. And that's the reality. You can't have it all. Nobody ever imagines saying to a man, you can have an incredible career. You can work 80 hours a week and you can be a, fanta a fantastic father as well. Uh, no, of course not. Nobody expects that from men. And uh, But the idea that women... Um, should recognize basic time limitations, basic biology limitations. It's like deeply shocking. Women live in, 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 in the West, women live in this like psychotic state. I'm not calling you a psychotic. I'm just saying this is an analogy. Women live in this like psychotic state of delusion that is constantly propped up and, 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 gassed and, and drug they live in the state of delusion yeah and and it takes massive amounts of government money to maintain this delusion it takes massive amounts of media propaganda to maintain this delusion it takes massive amounts of vanity stroking lying and misdirection and befogging and befuddling women to maintain this delusion ladies you can't have it all if you want children your career is gonna suck in general 
doesn't mean you can't have one, doesn't mean it can't be enjoyable at times, but I guess my writing career has taken a giant, massive, giant shin bone to the nads for the past eight years. Why? And I don't sit there complaining about it every day. I can't believe I can't write. I I should have it all. I should be able to be a great parent and run a podcast and write books and be a great friend and be a great uh, husband. And Of course not. I know I can't have it all because X X number of hours of the day (laughs) and my ambitions don't add one single second to any particular day. So it is a dangerous business riding into the psychotic delusion world of modern femininity and bringing a tiny smidge of biological reality, temporal reality, mathematical reality, can't be in two places at once reality. It is like riding into the modern narcissistic vanity psychosis of, of the Western female and saying, hey, there are huge limits. What do you mean there are limitations? That's sexist. Okay, if reality is sexist, you're insane. <laughs> Not you, right? But so this, I don't, I don't know. How do you bring basic reality to women who are being drugged by praise and vanity and girl power and girl squad and chicks can do it all? And like to the point where like Madonna stands up and says, um, I've been oppressed my entire um, career. And and people don't just laugh at her and say, okay, so you're old and you're ugly uh, and uh, you're not sexually attractive anymore. So naturally, you're going to turn to embittered feminism because it's the only way you can get attention um, being way past your prime, way past your past your prime. I mean, a woman, well, she's in her late 50s and she's showing up places with assless chaps. I mean, <laughs> come on, that's somebody's grandmother almost. So... Um, so, I mean, the fact that, that, oh, Madonna's a hero, Madonna's so brave, Madonna. oh, it's insane, it's absolutely mad. You made your choices, Madonna, you decided to use sexual market value, you decided to bear your ass and bear your tits, and uh, basically vamp in vogue and pole dance for a living, wrote some great songs a couple of decades ago. You sing like Mickey Mouse on Helium, but that's a topic for another time. So yeah, you you cashed in on your sexual market value, and now you're you've aged like women do, uh, like like milk, right? Men age like wine, women age like milk, and it's fine. Women have it great for the first third of their life, and men have it great for the remaining two thirds. <laughs> that's just the way it goes. It's not my fault. I didn't design the plumbing. I'm not that engineer. So how do you bring women back to reality? Well. Women will welcome you in general, bringing them back to reality in the same way that a heroin addict relishes you cutting off his supply of heroin. (laughs) He's not going to be happy. Now, maybe in six months or a year or in five years, he'll look back at you and say, man, when you got me off that heroin, when you cut off my supply, when you made sure I couldn't get any heroin, I hated you. Then I hated you right after. I hated you for years. But now looking back, you're the only damn person who gave a crap about me that whole time because everyone else was just, oh, yeah, heroin's cool. Oh, have you lost weight on that heroin diet? You look positively raccoon-like and exhausted. Good for you. I mean, it's you you got to get women off the drug of vanity. Ladies, you can't have it all. If you want to have children, your career is largely going to suck. And that's fine because you get children. And that's a wonderful and amazing gift. And the fact that uh, um, your parents, maybe even your mother, uh, ended up giving up a lot to have you. Oh, yeah, it's fine. You, you pay it forward. You've got this great gift called life. So you'll you'll pay it forward and it'll be a beautiful thing. But uh, no, I don't know. I'm bringing reality to women. There's a national debt, ladies. (laughs) 
<laughs> we can't afford to continue to prop you up with infinite fetus taxpayer slave money so that you continue to so you can continue to larp uh, as men and pretend that you have uh, n-dimensional constructs that you can will to change time and dilate reality and <laughs> extend days and no you can't you can't have it all you can and and again men have known this for a long time uh women uh got this massive drug of well they've always had the massive massive drug of youthful sexual power right high sexual market value for young women so that's always been there and then and then they got the massive power of getting the vote right and uh, you know as we talked about in european countries existed for 800 years uh without a welfare state but within 10 years of women getting the vote boom you get a welfare state because again um Women like to be shielded from reality, and I can understand that. So do kings, so do princesses. But um, although women uh, treat me like a princess, oh, does that mean marry you off at 12 for political reasons? Anyway, um, so women got uh, already have high sexual market value, already have the power of sexual attraction, and then they got the power of voting. And once they got the power of voting, given that they go to the polls more often, because, you know, men are kind of busy a lot of times, and also because women live longer, they just get to, so they get to vote, and they have the high sexual market value, and they have the vote, and they have all the politicians and the media pandering for them. Women control like 90% plus of household spending, so you've got advertisers pandering to women, you've got movies pandering to women, you've got academia pandering to women, you've got men pandering to women, and you've got politicians pandering like hell to women and this creates a massive days wherein the female of the west is completely drugged and acts uh in a completely culturally suicidal manner uh wandering off the cliff and falling into a bottomless pit of uh, medieval theology so it is a great tragedy it's a great problem i've been working <laughs> my little tushy off low these many years to try and bring some reality to uh to women uh it's it's tough you know, it's tough. You know, the lineup for the brutal truths is a lot shorter than the lineup for the comfortable, well-funded falsehoods. And um, how do you talk about it with them? I, I mean, it's such a delicate issue and it's such a landmine. I, I can do it in the in the safety of my mothership studio. But, you know, face to face, you have to be more delicate. You know, well, when do you think you might want to have kids? How many kids do you think you want to have? How far apart do you want to space them? Just, you know, crack a little bit this delusion because female potential in every level uh, at every level, female potential is is stifled and, and crushed by these delusions. Uh, because what makes us do stuff is panic. What makes us do stuff is, is to some degree, anxiety and, and hope and, and, and fear of failure. And the degree to which women are drugged and, and the degree to which women are, are just praised. Oh, cool. You go, girl, girl power. You always win. Girls are the coolest. You know, Sarah Silverman leaning over. We just had a boy. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Who built the goddamn camera that's filming you there, Sarah? Anyway, so this reality is really, really tough. So much female potential is locked up in this days of, of vanity and this days of we're superior and women are wonderful. It's Women are W-A-W, war, it's a phenomenon in psychology. Women are wonderful. Well, sure, they're wonderful for the rulers because <laughs> they promote, provoke materialism and generally obey authority. So anyway, um, I think a lot of female potential is locked up in this vanity hailstorm that's eroding the female spirit and decaying female possibility. But um, how do you talk about it? Just honest, curious questions. Uh, and um, uh, they may get upset, you know, like, the addict doesn't like the interruption of the drug, but you got to ride that out, I would suggest. Okay, yeah. And uh, I also want to mention something you might find of interest, because like along, along with 
the government and the media. I'm pushing out the propaganda. I also like see it a lot on YouTube comment uh, content creators. Like um, there's this one show called the Lizzie Bennett Diaries, and it's basically a modern adaption of um, Pride and Prejudice. But the protagonist Lizzie is taking a PhD in communication. It yeah it yeah. And um, she's um, and the whole plot thing is that she's um creating like um these YouTube videos as part of her thesis, and somehow um Darcy ma- manages to find her both interest interesting and intelligent, and he falls in love love with her like towards the end. Right. Right. No, I mean, I I, uh, gritted my teeth and for pure sociological reasons, watched Bridget Jones has a baby or or something like that. And (laughs) I mean, just a complete celluloid whore. I mean, this this Bridget Jones sleeps with two guys in the space of uh, a couple of days and doesn't know whose baby she has. Now, one of them is a billionaire who's gorgeous. And the other one is a top lawyer uh, who argues like the high court and who's also gorgeous. And so, yeah, rich, gorgeous guys. Um, oh, absolutely. And that they're both fine with it. They're both fine with it. And they both just want to get involved and they want to work. And it's like, God almighty, what is wrong with everyone that all of this, like, is everyone is just completely willing to shred reality to avoid provoking any legitimate female panic about bad decisions. I mean, it's, it's terrible. You've got to watch the movie and like watch it like this is the kind of psychotic vision that a woman who tripped over her cat in her lonely apartment in the middle of a snowstorm and nobody else is in the building, hit her head on the radiator. This is like her death vision of what her life could have been in fantasy world where nothing is real. Uh, this is not reality. This is not reality. Uh, if you're in your 30s, I think, no, she thinks she's in her early 40s. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They'll be, they'll be billionaires lining up to bang you in your early 40s. Absolutely. Because, you know, billionaires can't get women in their 20s. I mean, who's interested in gorgeous Patrick Dempsey style billionaires? I mean, come on. I mean, oh, yeah. And he won't take any protection. And then he'll be totally fine with everything. And he'll really want to take care of the kid. And you'll be able to choose in your early 40s between these, these, these two amazing, gorgeous, rich, successful, uh, men uh, and and it'll be uh, I mean it's like oh my god oh my god like you you couldn't you couldn't be crueler to women if you tried you you couldn't create a cultural environment that was more guaranteed to make women crazy and miserable if you tried just just dangling all of these insane delusions about what their life's going to be no you had a career you're in your early forties. There aren't going to be guys reigning to, to have babies with you. And, and there aren't going to be guys who are just going to have tons of money and are gorgeous and are just willing to shag your stegosaurus ass. Anyway, it, it's just, it's so cruel. Um, uh, and it's the same thing that Sex and the City, which as Ann Coulter pointed out, it's basically a story about gay men in New York with tits. But um, it's, it's gross. And I don't know. I mean, I do what I can. I know other people are doing what they can. But puncturing this psychotic bubble of 
well-cultivated female vanity is a, you know, it's going to take a couple of verbal airstrikes and I try to apply them as often as I can. But uh, I appreciate that. Thanks for the call. I hope that you'll keep us posted about how things go. Go out there and uh, bag yourself some man jam and a ring and uh, get yourself busy with being a glorious parent. And I hope that you have the career that you want uh, at some point as well. Thanks a lot for the call. Let's move on to the next. All right. Up next, we have Paul. Paul wrote in and said, I've heard you from time to time on your shows make offhand remarks that are dismissive of peak oil theory. What are your thoughts on peak oil? That is from Paul. Hey, Stefan. Good to be on the show. Let's hope so. (laughs) How are you doing, Paul? I'm doing great. How are you? Uh, I'm well, thanks. So if anything you, want, you wanted do, to, uh, yeah, I can do a little. Anything you wanted to add before? Yeah, I can do a little. I have my intro. piece. I'm sorry. If you want, I can do a little two-minute intro to peak oil and yeah, go for it. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, I'm going to start at the ground up for the sake of the listeners who might not have ever heard of peak oil. Start by talking about. Imagine a single oil well. Now, there's a bit of a misconception that producing an oil well is kind of like sticking a straw in a glass of water, and you just stick the pipe in the ground and you suck it up until you hit the bottom of the glass and then you hear that sound and it's gone, it's done. But uh, it's not quite like that with oil. If you plot the production of oil from a field over time, it forms something like a bell curve. So at the beginning, it's kind of slow as everything comes online and then more and more holes are drilled and the production increases until it eventually reads a maximum or a peak. And then after that point, no matter how many more holes you drill, it's going to decline just due to the physical depletion of the oil resource that's there. So you end up with this bell curve of production driven by economics on the upside and by depletion on the downside. Now, we can take that, and that applies to an individual oil field, but it can also apply to an entire nation or an oil-producing region. So a good example of this would be uh, the UK, for example peaked at a little over 3 million barrels per day in the year 2000, and now they're down to about 1 million barrels per day. And it's not because they don't want to produce oil anymore, it's just because the resource has been depleted, and it's followed a pretty textbook bell curve pattern as it does that. So when people talk about peak oil, they usually are referring to the global peak in oil production. And there's uh, three questions that we ask when we discuss this, and those are number one, when will the global peak in oil production be? Number two, how steep will the decline be afterwards? And number three, what will it be like living in a world in which we have less and less oil each year to use? Right. Okay. I I appreciate that. So, you know when the original peak oil prediction was, right? Yeah, around the 50s. I'm sorry? Around the 1950s, a man named M. King Hubbard. Yeah. Yeah. He said that, um, uh, uh, he said, um, that it would peak, uh, in 1970. American oil production would peak in 1970. And yeah. it did. He actually nailed the year exactly. Although now with all of the unconventional oil that's come online, they may have a second peak to that. Yeah. And in, in 2008, the U S produced 5 million barrels a day in 2009, U S oil production began to rise. It's still rising now. First half of 2014, the uh, U.S. had gone from 5 billion, sorry, 5 million barrels a day to 8.3 million barrels a day. And I think recently, I think it was in Texas, one of the world's largest oil reserves has been found. There is, of course, there is a shale production, there's fracking, and 
there's all these cool drilling techniques to go around um, things which you couldn't drill through before. You can sort of snake around them and and get oil. So, um, yeah, it, U.S. oil production, yeah, peaked in the 1970s, went down after, and then start, started rising again, which was not not part of the theory, right? <laughs> well, I'd like to point out that that peak was uh, in what we call conventional oil, which is the easy-to-get light oil. And the uh, recovery that we've had in production has all been in unconventional oil, which is in shale oil and uh, deep-sea offshore. The difference being that the conventional oil is extremely easy and cheap to produce, but the unconventional oil that's coming online to replace it is very expensive and very time-consuming and labor-consuming in order to get that stuff out of the ground. And so, so what? That's exactly what you'd want, right? I mean, as as the ease of extraction declines, you want the price to go up to encourage alternative use and and to create a soft landing, right? Yeah, and, and even UK production—you're talking about how it's going down. UK production is going back up again now. Yeah, it's it's going up a little bit, and uh, that's wonderful. I mean, uh, we have technologies here that are allowing us to produce oil that we never thought we'd be able to produce before, but. I'd like to point out that these are all wonderful things, but when you compare them to the massive scale of human oil consumption, take this uh, new discovery in Texas, for example, Wolf Camp Shale. It's estimated at about 20 billion barrels, which is the largest single oil discovery ever in the United States. Now, 20 billion barrels is enough to feed the world's demand for oil for about 220 days. No, that's that's not God. That's not that's not how economics works, man. No, I know that. No, it's it's I but no, but you're saying something that is not true. Right? So you you well, I only feeds people 220. No, it's not. That's not how things work. As oil gets harder to extract, the price of oil goes up and people find substitutes or they cut back on their usage. So it's not like if there was only 220 days of oil left in the world, it wouldn't be like, well, the price would be the same and go to, then you'd be out, right? I mean, everything would change. Yes, I understand that as the price goes up, we go and we find more oil, and that's indeed... No, that's not what I said. When the price goes up, you find alternatives or you reduce consumption. That's what people do. Well, alternatives, okay, reducing consumption is basically declining. I mean, using less, reducing consumption, that's the whole peak oil thing, so... But I don't understand, but I have no idea what you just said. If we reduce consumption, are we reducing consumption willingly or because there is less to use? I have no idea what the distinction that, you know, I mean, I, I'm voluntarily reducing my consumption of Lamborghinis because they're half a million dollars. Is that voluntary or because it's expensive? Does it matter? I can't afford it. But what does it, what does it matter if it's voluntary or, or because uh, through price? I don't, what is, I mean, both are voluntary. Nobody's got a gun to your head in either situation. Yes, I agree, but I'm, I'm not sure why we're disagreeing on this point. As the oil becomes less, the price will go up and people will use less and use different things. I don't disagree with any part of that. Yeah, and of course, as the price of oil goes up, then the cost-benefit of getting more difficult to find oil is, is, is better, right? 
I mean, we know that when the price of oil goes down, there's certain fracking or shale extraction that is no longer profitable. And they sort of sit around and everybody in Alberta sticks on the the bumper sticker that says, please, God, give me another oil boom. I promise not to piss it away like the last one. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I mean, as as the price of oil goes up, then it becomes more economically efficient uh, to go and get rarer oil, which then will put more oil on the market and, and, and drive it back down and, and so on. So um yeah, te- technology does some really cool things, and and this is not even counting um, what might happen at some point. I mean, I assume that there's massive oil reserves under the oceans. Uh, is there any possibility to get a hold of those? I have a tough time saying no because engineers, pretty damn in- ingenious, and entrepreneurs who stand to make untold fortunes by getting oil from hard to reach places. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah, but uh, I'd like to point out that those amazing places that we go to get oil now, we simply wouldn't be going there if there was still easy to produce oil just under our feet. I mean... But of course. People... Pe- so what you're saying is people are willing to dig in the ground for diamonds because they, they don't find them on the surface anymore. So what's the point? I don't understand. <laughs> it's, 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 it's essential. We can make a fortune and it's not on the surface, so we're going to go dig for it. I, I mean, that's gold, that's diamonds, that's tin, that's copper. <laughs> like, I mean, how is this not... Sure. Okay. Okay, yeah, but let's go into the future. So no, we can't go into the future. How do we how do we go into the future? You can't model the future because there's human ingenuity. There's there's substitutes. There's alternatives. Who knows what's going to be created? This is why this guy's original. Oh, we're going to run out of oil. Because I'll tell you this, man. I'll tell you this. When I was growing up, I was told, oh, my God, we're going to run out of oil. We're going to run out of coal. We're going to be starving by 1980. We're going to run out of energy. We're going to be cold and dark. And it's going to be Lord of the Flies in downtown London. Now, I'm not putting you in this category, but all the people who said that shit, fucking assholes. Scaring the shit out of the population, making people's childhoods miserable and frightened, uh, goosing the hell out of people, and they were completely, spectacularly, and totally wrong. So I have a pretty high bar for fear-mongering. Well, I'm I just would, telling uh, you that right now. I'm not putting you in this camp. I'm just I'm giving you my clear emotional bias ahead of time so you can put it, uh, what I'm saying, in context. I hate the fear mongers on this planet. You know, we have genuine fears uh, around things. Yeah, we have genuine fears to deal with uh, what's happening in Europe. We have genuine fears around uh, unfunded pension liabilities. We have genuine fears around national debt. These things are actual, tangible, practical, real, and imminent and I just have a, I have a very high barrier for proof. And so if you say, well, taking this mathematically and moving it forward in time, it's like, hey, if you can do that, do that for Apple stock and be a billionaire. But if you can't do that for Apple stock, which is pretty simple compared to how could we get oil or produce energy in the future, you can't take things and move them forward. If you could, you'd do it in the stock market and be a bazillionaire. I'd like to suggest to you that maybe you haven't taken exception with the peak oil scientists, but you've taken exception to the media's reporting of them. Now, the peak oil community is a very diverse group with predictions ranging from doom and gloom all the way to people who say we'll be fine for 10,000 years. But uh, you should be familiar with how the... Wait, are you saying the people who say we'll be fine for 10,000 years are in the peak oil group? Oh, yes, certainly. They simply say that the peak will be very distant. (laughs) Okay. All right. Okay. I didn't know that. I I thought peak oil was something important that that we had to sort of worry about now but okay you 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 know more about it than i do so go ahead well i've been saying when the mainstream media talked about peak oil they would always go and find the most doom and gloom predictions because they make the most exciting headlines 
and most of the predictions fall somewhere more reasonably in the middle. It's uh, kind of like all those predictions you heard back in the 70s about global warming that turned out to not be true. So wait, are you saying that the peak oil predictions occur more reasonably somewhere between imminent doom and 10,000 years, so they most fall around like 5,000 years? I, I think most predictions would fall around uh, mid-century or 2020 to 2050, from what I've seen, as for the global peak timing. And the predictions are that when you use a finite resource, at some point you're going to run low, right? That's, that's the gist of it, yeah. I just, I don't. I don't, I've never understood this. I mean, it's it's so obvious. And of course, we either have a free market, in which case it's going to be dealt with very easily, uh, or we don't have a free market, in which case, what's the point? I mean, we, we, we can't control government policy as individuals anyway, right? Yeah, well, let me tell you a little story about how I actually got interested in this. I was back in my college days, and I went to a fairly left-leaning university, and I studied geosciences. So this was back around 2005, where... Uh, Everybody was talking about global warming, you know, Al Gore movie had just come out, and I started getting into peak oil. And I tried to reconcile this idea of peak oil with this global warming that everyone was talking about. And I did some of the numbers myself in a rudimentary way, but I found other people who had done a better job. And if you assume that peak oil is anywhere close to imminent, then you have to reduce your global warming predictions big time. And I tried to... Well, sure, of course. I mean, if you're running out of oil, then one of the things that puts a big carbon footprint in the air is the burning of fossil fuels. So uh, if uh, peak oil is imminent, then global warming is not, right? Yeah. And I tried to talk about this with my uh, classmates and with the faculty, and they didn't want to hear it at all. I thought this would come as good news, I guess. You could, you know, maybe... <laughs> sure, because, so because environmentalist gloom and doomers are totally interested in good news, right? <laughs> Well, I suppose it's that. But I thought maybe you could have something to say about this because I've tried for years to understand why. Now, these are two similar phenomenons in that I thought that these hippies would use, well, they'd be happy to use either one as an excuse for government control over the fossil fuel industry. But they love using global warming as an excuse for this. But when you mention peak oil, even though it would take them down a similar road, they throw you out of the room. Why do you think they do that? That's a, that's a big question. Uh, it's a big question. And there are a couple of answers. First of all, on the left, wealth is exploitation. Wealth is bad. Now, <laughs> Hillary Clinton's wealth is not bad. The fact that Barack Obama seems to be pretty much minting money at the moment uh, is, is not bad. Al Gore's ridiculous fortune and the fact that he uses enough uh, electricity in his uh, house to heat his swimming pools when he's not even there to light up a small town, that's not, that's not bad. But the market, you see, the free market is bad. And peak oil is a big, giant problem. And therefore, we need the government to manage reserves. And we need the government to, to control emissions. And we need the government to tell the, the, um, the car manufacturers exactly what kind of cars to produce and exactly what specifications, thus perhaps leading certain car manufacturers to end up faking some of their results. But anyway, who knows? 
So yeah, it, it's just another excuse. Well, you know, we're gonna run out of oil, and we got people gonna starve to death. And there won't be any food, and food, oil production, money, we plastic bags. So we got a government take over and control the oil supply and put tariffs and 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 mandate this and and ethanol and right. I mean, it's just it's more bullshit government intervention to solve a problem that is made worse because of that intervention. Because if people gave a shit about peak oil, there would there would be two policies that they would pursue. Number one. No government debt, no government deficits, no government debt, no unfunded liabilities, because government debt stimulates massive consumption in the here and now. And if you're willing to accept $20 trillion of U.S. debt and $170 trillion or whatever the hell it is now of unfunded liabilities, well, that $20 trillion of U.S. debt is $20 trillion of consumption in the here and now at the expense of the future. And it's free. Right, free. If you want to reduce a kid's consumption of candy, don't give him giant bags of free candy, right? I mean, come on, right? I mean, it's ridiculous, right? So if people are interested in the conservation of resources, they should be really, really focusing on eliminating government deficits, government debt. Number two, if people were at all concerned about uh, ecology or were concerned about the environment, they would steadfastly resist the migration of people from the third world to the first world. Because when they go from the third world, where they're re- using very few resources, to the first world, particularly when they get the welfare uh, and, and other benefits, they're going from very low consumption to extraordinarily high consumption of Earth's precious natural resources. And so, yeah, they would be steadfast, if they cared. I mean, this is my litmus test. Uh, forget about, you know, do you want to get rid of taxi licenses and so on, which which is important as well. But... If you claim to be an environmentalist and you are for the migration of people from third world to heavily subsidized first world lifestyles, you're full of shit. You don't give a goddamn. You're just some leftist who wants government control, smash the marketplace. Ooh, you're so edgy. Yeah, that was edgy in 1850. Fucker. Um, not you. <laughs> but um, uh, and, and if you, um, yeah, so against government debt and against human migration uh, to high resource consumption environments, uh, this would be, of course, uh, the basic litmus test for any sanity in the realm of environmentalism. But they don't. They don't care. They don't care at all. There's another reason, too, which is even more sinister, which I'll tell you, which is why people don't want to hear that um, human beings are going to be fine. There is a significant mass homicidal impulse in the left, on the left, where they would love love in their sickly little demonic hearts they would love to see a massive reduction in the human population you know there are people out there who say well you know it should only be 500 million okay well that's quite a few billion people who have to die there is a projected death wish on the part of the left we know from interviews from subject matter experts on this show that people on the left are more criminal and more more violent. And, and we just look at what happened to uh, the deplorable, where um, you had a bunch of crazy leftists uh, uh, on uh, James O'Keefe's Veritas Project tapes uh, or, or videos. And you should really watch these. Uh, they're talking about releasing this, this. Yeah, they're talking about releasing this acid uh, in the ventilation system that uh, is going to uh, stink out the place and apparently is can can burn when it comes to open flame and people might have uh, breathing problems might be stimulated by this and they're talking about putting chains on the, the metro line in order to to shut it down and and uh, blocking roads and i mean this is i mean according to a lot of the legal experts this seems to be pretty straight up uh, terrorism and you got this 
crazy guy talking about uh, I'm, I'm good with throat punching these people. It's like, you know, you throat punch someone, you could kill them. That That is a murder shot. That's like a monkey gets fruit, half decapitation murder shot potentially. And so the left is, um, well, I mean, Ann Coulter's written the book on it. Demonic, demonic, uh, monstrous. And so for them, the, the idea that the rich, the rich will die. I mean, this is what, whenever the left gets in power, significant power, like when they get the totalitarian dictatorship that they seem to want so many of them so often, when they get in power, they put the rich to death. They put the intellectuals to death. They put, uh, well, the case-elected people to death. And so the idea for them, uh, peak oil for the left is is just like, it's well-lubricated death porn. Uh, it is, um, uh, it is the, the fantasy that the rich people, the rich countries, they're going to run and they're going to die in the streets and they're going to starve. And it, oh, they love that shit. They love this apocalyptic death porn. And peak oil is a great way for them to whack off like an oil derrick and fantasize about the death of their enemies because they're an impotent bunch of little fucks. Yeah. And, um, well, all they have is their fists and their rhetoric, which actually I shouldn't say impotent. They've been pretty powerful so far. But uh, that's I think that's one of the reasons why you get a lot of this uh, – Terrorizing, you know, this terrorizing of children. Oh, you're going to burn peak oil, global oil, ALR and apples. Uh, you know, somebody put razor blades in the in, in, in the Halloween candy and oh, you're going to die. And uh, Y2K, you're going to run out of power. You're going to die. I mean, they're just a bunch of verbal sadists and homicidal maniacs, a lot of them. Uh, and they just they love this this stuff where we're just millions, hundreds of millions of billions of people are going to die. They love that shit. I mean, they are some seriously coffin purse carrying grim merchants. Have you uh, ever heard of a group called the Voluntary Human Extinction Movement? <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> e -M -T. I, I feel I have. Yeah, I they, believe they're the, the ones who want to bring the numbers down significantly to yeah. this like this uh, fight club description, you know, like uh, uh, my perfect world is is hunting for deer in the shadows of the empire state building or whatever right i mean yeah it's Although, uh, mad. Uh, your characterization of uh well i don't think there's actually a lot of lefties in the peak oil community and i've been around the peak oil community for some time in my experience uh it's actually far more right-leaning and maybe that's because uh the mainstream media has ignored them and you have to kind of be a internet rebel to get into this stuff nowadays but uh Global warming seems to suck up all the lefties, and uh, I think the peak oil community is really uh, more towards the um, individualist, survivalist types now. Well, I mean, I, I can't comment on that. I mean, your anecdotes uh, don't don't add up to much data in my mind. I'm I mean, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But, um, you know, if people think that they can genuinely predict giant energy patterns next year or five years or 10 years and you know they can just short a bunch of stock and buy a bunch of stock and just make a, an absolute fortune but the basic reality is that massive investment fortunes are not accruing to peak oil people well people uh, think to my that knowledge they can predict the weather a hundred years from now and when well no i know i know that's bullshit and i'm saying this yeah, is yeah. bullshit too yeah, yeah, so yes point is, we're on both sides of that right yeah, but my point is when someone says i can predict the weather a hundred years from now then he gets a million dollar grant when someone says I can predict oil consumption 100 years from now. He doesn't get anything. No, no, but we're not talking about 100 years from now. There are peak oil dates have been uh, um, re repeatedly predicted for, you know, 50, 60 years. 
So, and, and they're not lengthy, lengthy predictions. I mean, people are talking, you know, five years out or whatever. So yeah, short a bunch of stock or, or buy a bunch of stock and, and uh, figure out if you really know, then you should just be able to make an unbelievable killing because energy consumption is so fundamental to the lifeblood of the economy that uh, if you can, if you can do that, you should be owning about everything well, <laughs> pretty quickly. But, and so this is where if people were good at these kinds of predictions, like, I mean, one of my first jobs was uh, as a COBOL programmer at a trading uh, company. So I know a little bit about how this stuff works. If people are making predictions about the future and not getting staggeringly rich, I just think they're full of shit. I just, I mean, except Al Gore, because Al Gore's, you know, well, part of the political have, uh, process that produced all this money. But yeah, if people say, well, I know what's going to happen and there's going to be this particular trend in energy. It's like, why, why are you telling me? Call your broker. Why would you tell me if you've got some secret to minting money? If you're a survivalist, then surely you want to make money so you can buy more survival stuff. And so when people are making predictions about the future outside the government and they're not accumulating vast amounts of money, they're just full of shit. They're just making a bunch of noise. Because if you really can predict the future, go go predict it on the stock market and end up owning the planet and then save us from everything, right? I mean, but I just, I'm just telling you this is my particular bias. I think it's a pretty good one. I think it's a pretty good one. If someone says, oh, I know what's going to happen uh, next year, next five years, it was like, how long have you known this for? Oh, quite some time. Well, what if it has your investment strategy uh, paid off? Oh, I, 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 okay, well, shut up then, because you don't know what's going on in the future. If you're not profiting from it, I don't care. Profitability in the stock market is the fundamental measure of whether you know the future or not. If you're not profiting from the stock market, shut up and move on, because you're just wasting my time. Not you. Well, yeah. <laughs> These yeah. people as a whole. But uh, I think, yeah, that's true, and I tell people that a lot myself when they think they can predict. I mean, do you know, do you know when I told people about Bitcoin, do you know how much it was worth? Uh, I don't know how much was it worth when I bought some. <laughs> I've been it was, when, I, when I first talked about Bitcoin, it was worth 17 cents. Okay, you're, you're earlier than me by a long shot. Right? I Should mean, Charles C. Johnson of GotNews.com makes a fortune. He believes that social justice warriors destroy companies. So when social justice warriors take over a company, he has an investment strategy called shorting that company. So he has, okay, he can predict some, yes, social justice warriors are not market-facing. They're ideology-facing at the expense of the market. So it's not that hard to figure out what's going to happen to the companies in the long run. So this is just my test. There's lots of people out there who are going to tell you they know the future. Ask to see their stock portfolio. If they don't have one and it's not doing fantastically, tell them you're too busy. Well, yeah, although energy stocks have done fairly well recently. But uh, peak oil, I think, is something that plays over, over the course of decades. And, you know, stock portfolios, you want to see returns on five to ten. No, no, no. Nice try. No, lots of people have made um, have made peak oil predictions way shorter than decades, way shorter than decades. And, of course, if you're making peak oil predictions, let's say you're making them ten years out, then you would buy the stocks now and you begin to see those returns in a couple of years. Right. It, it doesn't like the stocks don't just do one thing. And then in 10 years, people go, oh, no, peak oil, it all changes. Right. I mean, you, you can start to get those. Don't give me this. Well, you can't tell because it's too far out. That's nonsense. I know how this stuff works. So I think a lot of people uh, anyway, if people want to look into it, look into it. Uh, and uh, if uh, somebody becomes a bazillionaire by following peak oil theory, let me know. Um, I just remember telling everyone about Bitcoin when it was 17 cents. Well, uh, and now I it's, would, uh, uh, if I, can I believe, slightly higher than that. So well, thanks for your call. One, I appreciate I that. Make one um, and to all the fear mongers out there, I really invite you to fuck off. And uh, <laughs> thanks very much. And I'll move on to the next caller. Thank you, Stefan. Bye. All right. Up next, we have Joseph. Joseph wrote in and said, I understand the principle of how the minimum wage keeps people out of work. But listening to a recent speaker's assessment brings up the question of if inflation goes up, 
shouldn't something be done about wages to keep pace? If inflation is a government-caused problem, shouldn't the wages be adjusted? Why shouldn't the minimum wage be tied to inflation is my ultimate question. If we can't stop government from devaluation of currency, shouldn't we at least tie wages to it to avoid misery? That is from Joseph. Well, hi, Joseph. How you doing tonight? Hey, Stefan. How you doing? I'm, I'm well. I'm well. Well, look, I mean, if, if inflation is occurring, and look, inflation can occur in a free market environment. Inflation can occur in a purely privatized um, currency. I mean, if you... I mean, if, if you look at something like, I mean, this is not purely private, but if you look at Spain 400 years ago, Spain invaded the New World and got massive amounts of gold and then rolled all that gold back to Queen Isabella in in Spain, and then prices went through the roof. It drove all of the artisans and the skilled people out of Spain, and then Spain suffered a massive recession that lasted 400 years. So um, that was a gold-based massive inflation. If somebody figures out how to, how to synthesize gold then there's going to be uh, an inflation. Or if some massive new cache of gold is discovered, uh, then uh, there's going to be uh, inflation. If a whole bunch of people suddenly decide to melt down their jewelry, well, who knows, right? So you can get this kind of inflation even when the government doesn't have direct control over all of the, the currency. So, um, excuse me. Bless you. Thank you. Good heavens. Um, so... The fact that there, there can be inflation, but uh, wages adjust based on inflation. People notice that the price of everything is going up and they demand um, raises from, from their bosses, right? So uh, market demand uh, and negotiation among workers and um, employers would deal with that. The, they would naturally go up if there's inflation. Yeah, um, just the, the point he was trying to make was like I think he, he gave – and I, I researched it a little bit. I looked up what the uh... – but basically, uh, the the cost per inflation, how it's changed, like uh, as far as um, 1968, he said, like if we adjusted that for inflation, what they were making back then, as opposed to what they make now, that actually wages have regressed from what they used to be. And to me, that seems kind of like kind of messed up because. Obviously, I know it's, it has something to do with, you know, the government tinkering with with money and the money supply and things like that. But if somebody in 1968, like if we adjusted it for inflation, was making like $10 an hour, what it would be in wages today, why do we only have... Well, like you don't have to go that far. Yeah, you don't have to go that far. Um, if you simply take the silver content of quarters and adjust it, right? So you take yeah. the minimum wage in 1960 that was paid in quarters that had a silver content, and you take that same silver content and and put it forward to now, the minimum wage from 1960 should be like $26 and change. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, the problem isn't the minimum wage. The problem is the government has control of the currency and will continue to vampire like bleed you dry for every ounce of savings that you have and, and rob you of any predictability in the future in order to buy votes from women in the here and now. <laughs> so not just women, minorities. Yeah, I mean, by, um, by no means am I a proponent of the minimum wage or anything like that. Like I, I, I've been conservative for years. Um, you know, I got active politically like really late in life, like 30 when Obama came into office because my dad had a conniption about it and I didn't understand why, but, uh, and then I realized why once I started educating myself, but, um, I've always leaned right and I've, um, become more libertarian as, uh, I've been listening to you and, you know, I've even gone from being a hardcore like Christian to agnostic at the most, um, lately in my life. So, I mean, I, 
I'm not afraid to change uh, my beliefs. I'm always a skeptical person. I don't ever think of something as gospel. You know what I mean? So I'm coming at it from a thing where when somebody poses a question like this to me, I'm just, I don't want to be, I'm not just trying to be right. I want to make sure that I actually am on the right side of it. You know what I mean? When I'm debating somebody well, or look, having you, a conversation you with somebody. Sorry to interrupt. No, it's Paul, okay. Sorry. You, you don't want to, you don't want to get caught in the trap of playing whack-a-mole with government interventions. Well, because of this government intervention, doesn't that government intervention make sense? It's like, well, no. Yeah. No, no, it doesn't. Let's get rid of the first government. We ha I mean, until we wrestle back control of the currency from government, it's it's all bullshit. I mean, I think that there's things in the West that are going to buy us some time to do all of that kind of stuff. But until we wrestle back control of the currency from the government, uh, which is, you know, just passed its 100-year anniversary a couple of years ago, uh, at least in in America, um, it's all it's all nonsense because you you can't you can't fight the delusion making capacity of government control of of currency. So, you know, yeah, of course the um, uh, of course that the, there should be no minimum wage. Uh, and if there wasn't minimum wage, because like if there wasn't minimum wage and the government wasn't in control of currency, poor people would be making a fortune. You know, twenty six bucks an hour. That's pretty good. That's fifty-two thousand oh, no. I mean, dollars a year. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty yeah. good. That's you that's know for a minimum I mean, wage. So it's like, yeah, that's yeah. pretty good. Yeah, that's pretty good. So, um, yeah, I mean, sh shouldn't shouldn't we raise minimum wage to, to keep up with inflation? Well, why is there inflation? Because the government controls the currency. So, should we have another government program called the minimum wage to make up for the government program called control of the currency? I guess you could make that case, but um, I'm into more fundamental solutions in the long run. Yeah, no, I mean, and so am I, but I'm coming out of a more, uh, I, I want to say from a practical standpoint, like the government, like we're not getting rid of the Fed anytime soon. Like we're not, like that's not, that's going to be a huge movement that needs to happen. And part of me wants to say, well, not fixing, you know, like not fixing oh, the minimum wage. Uh, would sorry actually, to interrupt, man. No. Just... You know, study your German history. You'd be you'd be really surprised how how quickly currency can change. N not not always under the most pleasant of circumstances. No, but no, you'd no, be no, really surprised yeah. at how quickly currency can change. Yeah. yeah, no, that's what I mean. Is like part of me, and part and part of me, uh, 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 I guess the the fed up part of me with all the leftist policies and things like that is, it's like, I want to give them everything. I want them to create the most misery because it seems like some people won't wake up until they actually, and I thought that would happen with Obama. Like I thought like from everything that he's done with the oh, they economy. Did. Oh no, they did. That's, you know, that's why there's Trump. No, they, yeah, they, they I did. Mean, it's not all the way woke, yes. but they really started. Yeah. Because the people that voted, the, the white people in the, you know, Midwest that voted for Obama, you know, voted for Trump. That's why, like, I can't stand it when people are like, only racists voted for Trump. And it's like, no, not really, because they voted in the black president two straight times. Actually, um, so. it's, it's mostly racists who voted for the black president, but for a yeah. different reason. But Yeah, well, I try anyway. to make that point, too, myself. But no, I mean, yeah. I, I'm not I'm not trying to justify it. My, my thing is, is more wrapping my head around like the government is causing this problem, which is also causing pain. And it's like, there's no, there's no alleviation for the person who's poor. And, and part of me doesn't feel that there should be because, you know, uh, I think Ben Franklin said, don't make people feel comfortable being poor. You want them to be uncomfortable in it so that they rise out of it. But I, I feel like 
people at minimum wage jobs, if the the price of the dollar is going down and the price of goods is, you know, incurred upon everybody, it's also incurred upon them. So it's actually causing it's it's hurting them the most. Like somebody like me or even somebody who's very wealthy, um, you know, the cost increases do hurt us, you know, especially, well, you know, like not somebody that's, I would say me, I do feel it because I am kind of like almost paycheck to paycheck, but I live kind of comfortably. But for rich people, they don't really care if really the costs of goods are going up other than, well, I shouldn't say that because uh, large businesses probably incurs costs that way too. But I, I just feel like, Something should be done. I'm trying not to sound like a status. Um, I can't believe I'm even saying this, but I, I feel like the poor people are getting the even short ender, shorter end of the stick, so to speak. And that, like, I don't. I feel like that something should be done for that minimum wage. Like, there should at least should be tied to inflation because that would usher on, I think. I think that would usher in more of a change faster, wouldn't it? In the political sphere. Oh, I mean, I don't know. You're you're asking how to move a machinery that if this kind wouldn't do this, it wouldn't do that. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it, the minimum wage is wrong. It's an interference of freedom of trade. Um, you know, as far as your sympathy for the poor people, well, I'll tell you this. I mean, and I, I go back and forth about this, so I'm not saying this is sort of my final position uh, because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I've been reading up about what's going on in uh in venezuela yes. and uh it's it's absolutely horrible uh it's it, and it's going to get worse right i mean the smart people have left the, left the country and so my my guess is and horrifying though it is there's probably going to be a big great die-off because there was a certain population smart people came along there was freedom free markets at least relatively and so you got a big increase in population and then all the marxists came in as they do and they say "Ooh, now there's more wealth disparity those people are wealthy because they've stolen from you you've got to go steal it back you drive away the rich people and then you get the return of the population to its prior level, which is a brutal and horrible process. So part of me is like, well, the poor, poor people, you know, that's, that's terrible. You know, maybe they're not that smart or, or whatever it is. Like, it's just, it's just terrible. Uh, and it's, you know, they shouldn't have to go through this and, you know, all this kind of crap, right? Yeah. Did you but watch here's the, the thing. Here's, no, hang on. Here, hang on. Hang on. Sorry. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. The poor people have the vote. And if you want the vote, you get full moral responsibility. You know, it's the same thing. Well, you know, women are making bad decisions with the Europe and so on. It's like, well, they got the vote. They wanted the vote. And with the vote comes at least the acceptance that you're a moral agent in your society. And uh, so if the poor people want the vote and the poor people go, if they vote for free stuff, well, sorry, the wages of sin may be death. And I'm sorry. I wish I wish it were different. It's not the world that I necessarily would have designed, but uh, they didn't ask me in the planning stages of how things went, either physically or, or politically or economically. So my particular perspective at the moment is um, I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm very, very sorry that the people in Venezuela have to serve as an example of what happens when you um, in, endorse immorality, when you want the government to take things for you when you sell off your children into debt slavery. Um, it's really, uh, it's really bad. Uh, but, um, you know, a lot of them are religious. Uh, the, the, the Bible teaches thou shall not steal. It also teaches that the wages of sin is death. And, um, they just, um, 
they're going to have to learn. And and I'm also really, I'm not that horrified, but it's still a little shocking to me just how little the left cares. Just how little the left cares yeah. about the poor in Venezuela. They don't give a shit. You know, they got their guy in, they got their quasi-communist in, they got their Chavez, Chavez in, and he put in all these socialist programs, and they praised him, and they applauded him, and they cheered him. And he was their hero of standing up to the gringo, and the American imperialists, and he was just the best guy on the planet. And uh, now that things are going into the shitter, you can't get anyone on the left to talk about Venezuela to save their lives, to yeah, literally to save, save either their lives or the lives of Venezuelans. <laughs> uh, they don't care. Yes. Uh, it's just, a, they're just pawns of power. And I, you know, the, the older I get, and this uh, is something I touched on earlier, um, I, I, think, I, think they, I think they like to see the suffering. I, I think they have such a deep hatred of humanity that stems out of, uh, I guess, a hatred against their own corruption. They have such a deep hatred. If you provoke these kinds of situations repeatedly, like if you if you provoke repeatedly the death of fifty to seventy four million Chinese and and uh, you know dozens of millions of people throughout the communist world over ninety million and I've heard estimates far higher than ninety to hundred million the death toll of communism. Um, if you continue to provoke this, it's because you're a sadist who likes his bloody popcorn and sitting in the amphitheater watching economic lions take down the poor and the middle class. Uh, there's such a bottomless well of hatred, I think, uh, in, in these people that um, I think that they put Chavez in power and praised him being in power so they could watch this spectacle. Uh, I think it is a deeply sadistic, maybe it's even a sexual turn on for them. I have no idea. But uh, the lack of compassion, you'd think that if they cared one little tiny bit for human life, for human security, for human safety, for human survivability, that they'd sit there and say, wow, this really went bad. We've got to figure out why we've got to turn it around. But they don't. They just double down all the time. It means that the suffering is the goal. The socialism is the means. Yeah. Yeah. And you hear nothing but crickets now about. Venezuela, it's hilarious. No, yeah, or South Africa. Yeah. Right? Racism is prejudice plus power. Well, the blacks are in charge in South Africa and acting very badly against the whites in many ways. So does, are they racist? Can't get them to talk about it at all. Yeah. Same thing in Chicago and every other democratically run city in America. Yeah, they want you. It's, yeah. And, they, you know, this is Mike Cernovich says this. He said this on Twitter. They, 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 they'd put you in camps if they could. They love this suffering. There are significant numbers of sadists in this world. And uh, sometimes it almost seems like they're running the damn joint. But um, yeah, there is no amount of suffering that they, that would satisfy them, that would satiate them. They loved Russia when Russia was murdering its citizens by the millions. They hate Russia now. Why? Because it's not producing the death spectacle they live for. I, I, I mean, it's, that's as close as I can get to the edge of that volcano of viciousness, I can't get into that mindset. It's so foreign, so alien to me. I, I, I can barely comprehend it by just looking and reading the tea leaves and the evidence, looking at all the body outlines uh, on the ground and all of the leftists doing the dance. I, they, they, they want to put these policies in place because they want people to suffer. There's no other possible explanation for it anymore because the suffering has been so repetitive that anytime anyone is doing something and, and advocating things that have led to untold suffering in the past, I mean, the, the, the migrant crisis, they know. They know diversity doesn't work. They know that diversity plus proximity equals war because it's everywhere. 
And the left knows it for sure because they won't hire anyone outside their own echo chambers. They won't work with anyone outside their own echo chambers. And they call everyone they disagree with Nazis. And then they say, oh, diversity is a strength. Oh, really? So people who disagree with you are Nazis. That must be suppressed. That must be rounded up. That must be gassed when they're dancing. Everyone you disagree with are Nazis. Everyone who disagrees with you on policy are Nazis. But diversity is our strength. They don't believe diversity is a strength at all. They don't believe. They do know that diversity sets up the Colosseum for the murder fest they love to watch. And that is as grim an indictment of base humanity as I can consider. And I'm very happy to be talked out of this, but I cannot see how the evidence leads any other way. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, like I said, it's it's not something that, um, it's not that I'm coming from it like, that I uh, believe this, but I've uh, like the, over the last year, one of the things that, cause I used to just believed what I believe, you know, I read the books. I kind of lived in my own echo chamber as far as conservatism and stuff like that goes, you know, the Rush Limbaugh's, all that stuff. And the one thing I made a promise to myself last year to do was I'm going to start listening and in delving into things that go counter to what I believe because then I know I really believe it. Like if I'm using actual real logic and things like that. So when somebody comes to me with something that seems from a reasonable perspective, you know, and it makes me question, I think that's a good thing Mm. in a way, you know, I may be, you know, I may just not have the knowledge of it and that's why I'm questioning, you know, um, you know, I'm still learning things as far as economics and things like that go and everything. But I also believe in empathy for people because I think, you know, I guess that's where I'm coming from. Maybe I'm coming from more of a yeah, if you if you care about people, you tell thing. them it's it's simpler than you think. If you care about people, you tell them the truth. The, the truth is the mark of respect. The moment I stop telling the truth to people is the moment I stop respecting them. And I've come close. <laughs> I've come close in my life. And the people I can no longer tell the truth to, I don't have a relationship with because I can only have a relationship with people based upon the truth. And uh, if I can't tell you the truth, I can't have a relationship with you. And um, we, we need to tell people the truth. And those who deny the truth, deny life, deny connection uh, and set up these kinds of uh, de- human disasters that, uh, again, they seem to love Uh, and live for in many ways. So, well, thank you very much for uh, your call. Uh, I'm going to move on to the next caller, but I appreciate the question. Thank you very much. Pleasure talking to you. All right. Up next, we have Nate. Nate wrote in and said, my girlfriend of eight months recently left me. I've since felt confused and anxious. It seems to affect me more than I see it affect others. I feel spite for the woman I loved and of ill will towards her. This is a reoccurring theme throughout my past relationships. Why? Why is it so difficult for me to do the grown-up thing and hope my ex does well and is happy? That's from Nate. All right. Do you want to tell me the tale? Um, well, I, uh, I live on, uh, in a pretty liberal area, and um, I met this girl uh, at work, and um, we, we did not agree on politics at all, but um, at the beginning... Um, we could discuss issues and, um, you know, talk about why we disagreed, why I believed what I believed and, 
uh, she never really got too much into why she believed what she believed, but, um, she, she was pretty hardcore, like feminist, uh, leftist in general. Um, I mean, she hadn't really like, you know, read any books or anything like that, but she just kind of grew up in the area and, uh, yeah, it was, she's pretty indoctrinated, I would say. Um, but yeah, so at the beginning of the relationship, we could talk about these issues and, um, it was clear that we both disagreed and that was fine. Um, there is a, a show of yours that I listened to where you told uh, a caller, uh, that it, um, it depends on how much difference you're okay with. I think the caller had a question about, you know, can I date like a, a leftist and, uh, or can I have like a, a successful relationship with the leftist? And, uh, you said, um, it, it just depends on how much difference you're okay with. And I thought we were at a level of okay, uh, difference, she and I. And, um, so fast forward, well, actually, sorry. So about a month into the relationship, she actually moved in with me. Um, so we probably jumped the gun on that, but, um, fast forward eight months and, uh, we rarely at all talked about anything serious, you know, politics or culture, you know, social issues, whatnot. Uh, we barely talked about that anymore and I would bring it up to her. And, you know, say, you know, we don't really have any, like, serious talks anymore. And she would just kind of shrug it off. And uh, she grew more distant and distant. And I um, I noticed it. And I kind of saw the end coming. But um, it was still kind of a surprise when it happened. Um, and, yeah, I guess that's the long and short of it. And how did the uh, end come about how did it manifest well she had um she told me she wanted to move out and uh i i was no no before that that's (laughs) you're fired okay what led you up to being fired right well well i mean that wasn't uh, she wanted to stay together like in a relationship but uh that night that she told me she wanted to move out i said well all right and then i said but do you still want to you know be together and she said i don't know so probably not. And, uh, that <laughs> really sucked to hear, but, um, yeah, it just kind of happened like one night. I mean, we were fine before that. Um, and she even told me later that, uh, breaking up with me wasn't quote part of the plan. So it seemed like a pretty sporadic thing. Uh, she's pretty impulsive like that. Right. Right. Okay, so let's just go through a quick checklist, if you will. <laughs> okay. Okay. Socialist. Um, I, I don't, I mean, sorry, I know this isn't a yes or no, but um, I, she doesn't really, I don't think she understands the theory. So uh, maybe not a well-read socialist? Was she, would she have called herself a socialist? No, no. What would she have called herself? A Democrat, a leftist, a liberal, what? Uh, <laughs> feminist, um, probably liberal, yeah. What do you mean probably liberal? I mean, you didn't talk about politics? No, no, we did. She just, she never really like identified with 
um, anything specific to politics. Like she, I mean, she was very flagrant about being a feminist. Um, and she, you know, liked Bernie Sanders, hated Trump. Uh, that was always a, <laughs> a lot of fun conversations about that. Um, but, uh, yeah, she never really like, you know, she would never say like, oh, I'm a, I'm a communist. I believe in communism or I'm a capitalist or I'm a, you know. why did she hate Trump? Um, it was mainly the grab him by the pussy remark, which, uh, I mean, I understand not agreeing with that, but, um, I told her, you know, look, he's like apologized a million times about this. Uh, I, I don't <laughs> agree like with that. You know, I voted for Trump. I, I told her that. And, uh, I mean, yeah, I don't like, I don't think anybody with half a brain thinks that it's okay to grab women by the pussy. And I, I also told her he was talking about, you know, groupies at, and whatnot. Um, but yeah, she didn't really. I'm sorry. Sorry. I'm a, I'm a little confused. Mm -hmm. Nobody thinks it's okay to grab women by the pussy. What about women who are okay with you grabbing them by the pussy? I mean, he, he's talking about, a, I'm not defending it. I'm just, this mm -hmm. is what he was talking about, right? Right. Yeah. So I guess, yeah, women that are, <laughs> that want to be grabbed by the pussy are okay <laughs> being grabbed by the pussy. Um, right. But uh, yeah, I mean, it was mainly that, uh, that kind of like made her really vocally um, disavow Trump. And, uh, and did she know about Bill Clinton's history of, uh, his relations with women? Uh, yeah, I, I brought that up to her several times. Um, because she, well, she was a really big, uh, I guess not really big Hillary supporter, but uh, she would, she would have voted for Hillary. And, uh, yeah, she, um, <laughs> I mean, she said, well, those are just allegations against Clinton. Uh, there was no proof. He didn't, uh, admit, you know, to raping these people. And I said, well, yeah, but I mean, if you look at the history, there are a ton of allegations. There are also, um, there's a lot of like, I guess, circumstantial evidence. I might be using the wrong. No, word, but she, but. so she believes that women should not be believed unless there's a very high standard of proof. Um, <laughs> not when it comes to rape. Uh, so she does and doesn't. She's just a confused idiot. Yes. I'm sorry. I know this is a woman you cared about, but no, it's no, just I... confused, hypocritical bullshit, right? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I got to be blunt with you, right? Yeah. Well, you know, Trump talked, made a joke about this thing, and and that's terrible. I could never vote for him. I really believe that women ought to be believed about rape, but if it's the husband of the guy running for president, well, we shouldn't dis we shouldn't believe them because you know it's not proven. And but of course, there was proof for for some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he, he settled a lawsuit with Paula Jones yeah. and that that's not ironclad proof, but it's something. Yeah. Right? It does not look good. Yeah. Right. And, uh, right. And, and a pat pattern of behavior. Right. So I guess, um, what would she assume that then Bill Cosby, Bill Cosby is innocent, uh, because Bill Clinton is innocent because nothing's been. Oh no. Yeah. She, no, she, uh, <coughs> excuse me with, uh, no, with Bill Cosby, she, he was like, 100% guilty. Um, oh, wait, wait. So the black man does it, <laughs> and he's guilty, but the white man does it, and he's innocent. That seems horribly racist to me. <laughs> yeah, she, uh, typical leftist, she's uh, pretty racist, even though she denies it. So, how pretty was she? Very. Okay, <laughs> see, now we're talking, right? Now, now we're talking. What do we got, one out of ten? I would one to 10. say 9.5. 
9.5. All right. So she doesn't have a lot of people telling her the truth or calling her out on her bullshit. I get it. Yeah. Tits rule. <laughs> Not an argument, but I'll take it anyway. Um, yeah, I, and you, what's your number? I would, uh, it's funny, I was thinking about this earlier, um, think about the call, but uh, I'd probably say maybe a seven, seven and a half. Okay. So you had to give up your integrity to have sex with her. That, that was the price. The pussy pass price was your integrity and your honor and your dignity and your virtues. Well, not exactly. I, I didn't. No, exactly. Don't give me this. Come on, man. <laughs> if she was a guy or if she was 350 pounds, would she be moving in with you? Would she be a good friend of yours? Uh, well, I mean, yeah. Honestly. No, 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 <laughs> we, no, don't. Come on. No, we, we, Everybody on the whole planet is saying with one voice, of course not. <laughs> don't be the last guy to get it. No, no, I mean, we, uh, you know, before, once we, um, when we first met, we got along fine, like as friends, uh, we hung out for probably two or three months before we actually started dating. Um, before politics got brought up and like, um, you know, these ideas, uh, we were pretty good friends. Um, so friendship has nothing to do with core values or philosophy. In other words, unless you specifically talk about politics, it has absolutely no effect on personality. It's not derived. People's political positions, especially if they're ridiculously uninformed and hypocritical, people's political positions arise out of no baser values. Is that what you're saying? No, no. There was nothing incompatible until you just happened to start talking about politics. Uh. <laughs> Come on. Come on. Well, I mean, I I don't know. We but before we had before before I knew any of her values, we were great friends. <laughs> like, <laughs> come on. Come on. Well, I mean, we it was again like a pretty um I guess shallow friendship. Um we, you know, we had You wanted to have sex with her, so you didn't want to ask her anything important. Well, no, I I would. We would argue about it uh, all the time, but No, no, no. The first couple of uh, Oh, man. Oh, man. I'm sorry you've not had these conversations. I'm, I'm not laughing. I'm no, we'll get to your okay. pain. That's, it's a real thing. That, you wanted to have sex with her, mm-hmm. and so you hung around her and didn't want to bring up anything too controversial. Well, I had brought up controversial things. The fir- I mean, the very first time we hung out, I talked about how uh, preferred pronouns are fucking stupid, <laughs> and uh, we had a discussion about it, and um, she like saw my point of view and was like, yeah, people shouldn't be forced to, you know, refer to somebody as Zer, Zem or whatever. Um, but, uh, she said, I think that person's, you know, a, a dick if, or, you know, an asshole or whatever, if they, wait, a dick that, that seems very gender specific, <laughs> Yeah, but go on a Zick. I think we want to say yes, Zick, that's their preferred term. Um, but yeah, no, we had a conversation about it and it seemed healthy and I was like, cool, you're rational, you're logical. Um, around this time, I also, I think this was when I first started listening to you. It's about a year ago. Um, but yeah, when we had that conversation, I was like, oh my God, like <laughs> you can understand logic, I guess, you know, it's, it's not right to force somebody to, you know, limit freedom of speech at all. Um which was like the, at the core of what I thought we'd agreed on. But, um, yeah, I guess. Gotta love the left, you know, 
Race and IQ, completely anti-scientific. 56 genders, totally scientific. But anyway, go on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, so I, I saw, you know, I looked, I thought about like our future together once I started pursuing her romantically. Um, not sure when that started. Actually, it probably was from day one. But, uh, and I thought, oh, you know, this could be a healthy, you know, learning experience for both of us. I could, I, I mean, I never once thought like, I'm going to become a leftist. I would never, <laughs> ever do that. Um, but, you know, I wanted to see why, uh, she thought the way she did. And I thought she wanted to learn about why I thought the way, well, I think the way. Why, why did. did you think that? Well, because of that first conversation we had. Um, and then going forward, we had more conversations about, you know, feminism, why, um, bigger government is never a good thing. Um, and how did those go? They, the feminism conversations were pretty rocky. Um, cause I mean, that was very personal thing to her, um, her being a feminist. Well, uh, well um, but personal, see, the word personal is not an argument. These beliefs are personal to me. It's like, not if they're universal claims of truth or value, they're certainly not personal to you. I like ice cream is personal. Ice cream contains dairy is not a personal belief, right? So what does it mean personal? Well, she I identified as a, you know, as a feminist, like I said, and she. Oh, um, feels. Yes, feels. Okay. We are in so feels just territory. say she was ridiculously emotional about unverified belief systems. Okay. I mean, let's, let's just call it what it is, right? Yeah. Yeah. Nail. Okay. Nail the head. Got it. See, see, I'm happily married, so I can, <laughs> I can say all of this. <laughs> um, but yeah, we, um, the first, I think the first <laughs> really bad interaction, um, I had in relation to her, it wasn't with her directly. It was with a friend of hers that had come over and the uh, topic turned to rape. And, um, their, their stance as almost everyone that lives in this godforsaken city stance is, uh, that you should, um, it, basically the opposite of, uh, innocent until proven guilty when it comes yeah, to rape. always believe, always believe the, um, the woman, right? Right. There's, there's no need for a standard of proof. Women never lie. This is again just part of the vanity uh, thing that that I was talking about with the uh, with the first caller. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Um, so her her friend and I were talking about this, and I I strongly disagreed and said, no, look, if you're if you're willing to allege that somebody raped you, you there's got to be some kind of proof. There's got to be something that can come up, and if there isn't, then you can't. You can't say objectively this person is a rapist. Does that make sense? Well, yeah. I mean, or you could say, so if all allegations of rape, or if no, no allegations of rape require objective proof or proof beyond a, shadow, uh, beyond a reasonable doubt, then any man who claims to have been raped by a woman must be 100% believed without evidence. Right. Yeah. But and, again, and therefore we have, right? So, so what happens is if there's, look... And sorry to, to interrupt you with some just sort of basic stuff, but, you know, for people who haven't heard this, there are women and men who get raped and there's no question uh, that something violent and untoward happened, right? I mean, they're, they're beaten up, they're bloody, they're, you know, dazed, they're attacked, they're, or they're drugged or whatever it is, right? I also believe that <clears throat> when you're particularly drunk or stoned or, or otherwise incapacitated, you can't give consent. I mean, that's pretty clear. It's easier to prove, but that's sort of the reality. But... um 
we're talking about the situations where it's a he said, she said stuff, right? And, and this is just a UPB question, universally preferable behavior. So if you have a man and a woman in a room, they're in there for half an hour, there's no blood, no violence, no torn clothing, no bruises, no cut lips, no broken bones, no forced penetration or, or forced envelopment or whatever. And she says, he raped me. And he says, she raped me, but both have to be believed. Well, that can't be achieved. Right. So, right, so this is just, it's just a, it, the law cannot function. Like requiring standards of proof for women protects women. Because if women can allege rape without evidence and be believed, then men can allege rape without evidence and be believed. In which case, women lose the protection of at least getting it to court because these two allegations would then cancel each other out. Both have to be believed. Therefore, both are rapists, but both can't be rapists. Therefore, there can't be any rape pursuit. It protects women and protects men. But of course, um, because there's this druggy haze of vanity that women in the West generally move through, um, they don't see that the people who want standards of proof are those who are aiming to protect rape victims. Right. Right. And um, yeah, it's all, I mean, like female in-group preference that, yeah, she was kind of the epitome of that as well as her friends. Um, but yeah, so anyway, I was, I was talking with her friend and um, we disagreed on that topic. Um, you know, me saying there should be proof if you're going to accuse somebody of any crime, you know, but rape. And, um, she was saying that her friend was saying that um, you don't need proof and that, you know, she was raped in the past and, uh, you know, <laughs> there, there wasn't any proof for that. And what about that guy? And well, and if, you know, I mean, if, if you were to take a sort of silly example, if you were to say to a woman like that, um, you've been texting my best friend with, with sexual innuendos, right? Mm-hmm. If you were to, they would say, here, take a look at my phone. I have it. Oh, look, an accusation that must be met with proof or disproof. Huh. Isn't that interesting? If you say, you've been texting, you've been texting pictures of your boobs to my best friend. And she says, okay, well, you've accused me. Um, therefore, I did it. Would she say that? No, 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 not at all. No, she'd say, where's your proof? Right. <laughs> of course. I don't know. It's just ridiculous. It is. It's and tragic. insane. Yeah. It's, it's sad that um, these women are being so brainwashed. Um, these leftists, I guess. No, 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 my friend. No. <laughs> oh, you didn't go there, did you? What? The poor, the poor women, they're just brainwashed, you see. <laughs> they, can't, they, they, they can't think, they've just, they've been indoctrinated, they can't think for themselves. And, and she's just, she's brainwashed, she's like a cult victim member. She's like, really? Oh, no, no. You I... were having sex with someone who was brainwashed? Um... It felt like that. You can walk that one back. That that okay. was a statement. I just want to call you out on it. You can sure. walk that one back. That's totally fine with me. But the consequences of calling someone brainwashed are not pretty for you, my friend. No, yeah. I mean, I, I don't mean to take away moral responsibility. Um, you kind of do. You kind of do. <laughs> That's all right. When you say brainwashed, you say, oh, well, you know, these these poor little women with their fragile intellects so easily influenced by others. La, la, la. Right. Anyway, I'm just saying. Very demeaning as, um, towards women. Yeah. Happ- happily married to a wonderful woman, have a great daughter. No, don't put women in the category of easily brainwashed. <laughs> Sometimes it would be tempting. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Or, I mean, I guess just it, it, like they do get. Well, sorry. No, I'm not going <laughs> to. I'm just going to yeah, get away from that. Um, they, they look like everyone. They do. Most people do what they can get away with. 
they don't have, I mean, certainly since the fall of religion, they don't have an inner standard of morality, so they do what they can get away with. And, of course, women have a lot of power in society, uh, sexual market value, voting, and, and all that, and control of, of spending. Women have a lot of power. But uh, if, if we, as men, are not willing to tell them the truth, can we blame them for... I mean, I'm, I'm not saying, again, I'm sounding like them brainwashing and all that, but... Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, tell them if you're not if you're not willing to tell the truth. In other words, if if these women are, I mean that's a warning. I mean if if you did your girlfriend agreed that women can accuse without evidence, yes. and should be believed. Yes. You you understand if she did that to you after telling that to you, you would not get a huge amount of sympathy. Oh no, no. The, She's uh... clearly telling you, I can destroy your life and consider myself a good person, even if you did nothing wrong, and I can't prove it. Yep, the thought has crossed my mind. Uh, yeah. People, people are very honest with you. Um, all, all we have to do is, is take our balls out of our ears and listen, right? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, and uh, that's, I mean, that's a thing. Like, in our relationship, I was always very honest with her. That's why we had uh, so many confrontations about these, uh, these issues. I never, I, honestly, a lot of this is thanks to Freedom A Radio. Everybody donate. Um, you mean this misery or well, what are you talking yes, about? This misery. Um, I guess. No, sorry. Not, not that I don't thank you for the misery. I thank you for, um, you kind of instilled a confidence in me to, yeah, tell people I am a Trump supporter. I mean, not like right off the bat, of course, but you know, but just compromise. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh no. But why are you moving in with her after a month? Oh man. Um, rose-tinted glasses, rose-tinted blindfold. Um, it just, I, again, after listening to your show, I was like, uh, you know what? I want to settle down. I want to have a family. I want to... Sure. Yeah, settle down with a socialist feminist woman who <laughs> says that rape accusations should always be believed, uh, <laughs> that, that women are superior, that force is great to use in society and is willing to move in with you within a month. Uh, yes. No boundaries. <laughs> Yeah, I um, I mean, I was hoping, see, I, I thought that there is some logic there due to some of our uh, earlier conversations. And so, I can make her sane. <laughs> well, I thought she was already. My insane. penis is so big, I'm going to bang the crazy out of her like a pin in a balloon. Boom. All better. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um yeah, I don't know. I thought um, I thought reason and evidence would prevail, but um, it did not, and it doesn't look like it's going to with her. I don't know, but um, what you mean in the future? Yeah, Wait, you're not you're not thinking of circling back to this roadkill and having some food, right? Um, no. you are, you are, <laughs> you are. Yeah. Okay. That's look. We got to be honest, right? Yeah. Let's be honest. It's. I mean, it's an emotional thing, and this is why. This is why I wrote in. I just. I. I want to understand, um, where these come from. Um, this feeling like almost dependence, I guess, on this this woman that, yeah, core values. We had very little in common, but then why? Am no, I, no, 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 not very little in common. Not, Massive in opposition. Listen, I have very few values in common with Lauren Southern's hedgehog. Um. <laughs> I guess we're both a little bristly. That's about it. But we, you know, I have very little in common with um, uh, a Hindu priest uh, somewhere in the outback of, of India, right? Mm-hmm. Um, very little in common. Um, 
you had direct opposition beliefs, directly oppositional beliefs with this woman. Yes. Okay. Your values hated each other. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. If you take the hormones out of the equation and the jigsaw puzzle squishy bits that fit together oh so nicely, your values were hate-fucking each other. <laughs> uh, yeah, I fell in love with a feminist. <laughs> no, I mean, it was eggs in a toxic container <laughs> that was very appealing. Yes. Right? Yeah. The eggs are positioned fairly far from the brain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Funnily enough, so are my sperm. Um, <laughs> Isn't that true? Isn't that true? <laughs> Damn that room temperature thing. Um, <laughs> so, what began to sour? Um, was it for you or for her? Both? Just her? It was, I, I believe, both. Um, Again, I noticed that we were having these conversations less and less as time went on. And that kind of, that was a red flag to me. Uh, we also started why, out, why were you having these conversations less and less as time went on? Because I was very uh, direct. And I was very like, you know, one time she asked me, um, do you think you're right? Uh, but what we were talking about feminism. I was telling her why it was um, hypocritical. Because you know, I, I was telling her, oh, why don't feminists like Ayn Rand? Why don't feminists like... Um, um, yeah, Margaret Thatcher, like, Ann Coulter, uh, right, right. Michelle These women Malkin and so on. Yeah, go ahead. Things. And, um, and I was like, you know, they, feminism is supportive of leftist women, which is not all women. And she was like, well, do you think you're right? And I said, I know I'm right. And she, Wait, right about what? That feminism is uh, contradictory. Right. And... Uh, that really pissed her off because I claimed that I knew that I was right. I, I guess she's got some relativist tendencies. Ah, wait, wait. Socialist, <laughs> feminist, liberal, <laughs> rapey, no facty, and relativist. Yeah. Gosh, she must have been pretty. <laughs> For you to punch was. your own values in the balls like that man she must have been pretty um i i i feel that looking looking at a picture of her might change my life entirely <laughs> i am now a socialist feminist relativist and you know this is like um that that great ancient greek story odysseus or someone like that he's like he wants to hear the sirens and he tells his um uh, his sailors to tie him to the mast and the, and the sirens sing. And he's like, oh, take me off, untie me. And they don't untie me no matter what, untie me. And he wants to go and dive and they won't. And, you know, it's like the siren, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, I don't know, that's exactly what it was. I, and, you know. So you stopped being assertive and she left you. Uh, I stopped being assertive? Yeah. You said you weren't having these conversations as much anymore. Right. I would, I would try to start a conversation and it would just be met with indifference or, um, disapproval, I, I guess. And, but I mean, and we then what? well, we weren't engaging about these conversations anymore. Yeah, so. And you weren't saying, listen, if you want to be with me, you have to face reality. 
my penis ride comes on a thing, a carousel called reason and evidence. <laughs> right. So she was the reason I'm saying you stop being assertive is that her craziness was consequence free. So she lost respect for you. You didn't care about her enough to put it on the line. Oh, my values are so important to me. They form really the foundation and core of who I am and what I treasure and what I consider moral and virtuous. You, on the other hand, are the exact opposite, but you are kind of pretty. So I'm basically just LARPing as someone with integrity. And I've got to stop using the word LARPing. But anyway, um, <laughs> it is, uh, you know, she, you, you came on strong as somebody with, with real principles. And um, she was obviously attracted to that to some degree. And then she gave you the shit test, which is really, you really believe in these values? You really believe in these principles? Or is it bullshit for you? In other words, do my tits trump your values? And I think she got her answer. And she's like, meh, I'm looking for a stronger guy. I'm looking for a guy with more integrity. Well, I never, I never like back down from my opinions or my, sorry, yes, my stances. Yes, you did. Because you stayed in the relationship even after discovering she had the direct opposite values. Yeah, I mean, we discovered You're still going to the Church of Satan. You don't have to repudiate Satan. You're still going, right? (laughs) Yeah. But we we discovered that we had opposing viewpoints uh, pretty early on. And I I would say maybe a month or two into the relationship. Well... Wait, wait. Because you mean since you started being friends or since you started dating? Uh, since we started being friends, um, like we both knew that we had these opposing viewpoints. And um, yeah, I, I thought about that before as well. I thought, you know, maybe she's attracted to me because I am resolute in these beliefs. Um, so it's not like, you know, it's not like eventually I was like, oh, you know, I could kind of see why uh, blacks are oppressed or. I'm going to go to this Black Lives Matter march now. I, you know, I never did anything like that. She went to a Black Lives Matter oh, no. approach? No, 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 sorry. Um, no, she, it, she did think that my disapproval of Black Lives Matter made me racist. I'm also, I'm a white male, so I'm already racist, but um, yeah. Although she was the one forgiving Bill Cosby for what, well, worse <laughs> than what Bill Clinton did. No, she was, no, sorry, condemning Bill Cosby for what? Bill Clinton, right? And forgiving Bill Clinton, but anyway, go on. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I, um, I guess why, uh, you, um, I'm sorry, you said I, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm not, I'm probably going to butcher what you said, but, um, you said I'm not like, I guess resolute in my beliefs or I'm not, I don't have integrity. You, you fucked them away. Oh God. This woman thought you were a racist was a socialist, feminist, liberal, relativist, all things which are immoral in your philosophy, right? Or in philosophy. Right. She was not a clear thinker. She was not a cogent thinker. She was not a self-critical thinker. She rejected reason and evidence. She was more than willing to hold on to contradictory opinions if they gave her social approval and she got to virtue signal and all that kind of crap, right? Right. So what were the consequences? She could do all this shit. Yeah, and I, I would point out. No, no, no. You pointing things out doesn't matter if you're not willing to act on these values. 
Well, sorry, I know, <laughs> I don't know if this is like going to be fog here or not, but um, she. It's going to be fog, but go on. <laughs> uh, early on, uh, once we started dating, she talked about wanting kids and like wanting to get married and whatnot. So I thought, I believed at the time that her core values were in line with mine. I thought she was like because she wants to breed well yeah and like what you know, invest in the future well it, it seemed like she had so everybody who wants to have children is a philosopher no no, no it's no. philosophical uh, no but it i mean it shows that at least you know she cares about like she has the long term in mind uh, which is something. I mean, uh, it doesn't mean she. Oh no! Oh God! Come on! Oh, you can't be serious. My mother had children. You gonna call her somebody who has the long term in mind? <laughs> I will take that quite personally if you do. Just by the way. <laughs> uh, no. No, I guess that's true. What's she gonna do to those children? Oh man, she <laughs> she told me once that uh, she wanted she wanted to be a single mom, and that was. Oh my like, fucking god! You got to no. be kidding me! She <laughs> no. said she wanted to be a single mom, and you are uh, mourning her yeah. leaving. Are you kidding me? I'm sorry. She mm. wanted to be a single mom, and yeah. you are mourning her not being in your life. Do you know how she becomes a single mom, my friend? She fucks you. She gets your man jam. She makes a baby, she dumps you, she drags you through the court and throws you in baby jail for 20 years. That's how she becomes a single mom. You are the luckiest son of a bitch I've talked to in quite a while. <laughs> You're like this, uh, I don't know if you've seen this, this YouTube video of this kid taking a selfie next to a train track and the train goes yeah. by and smashes his head with the mirror, like just the mirror that's on the side. I think it's the mirror. I don't know. It's pretty fast, right? Mm-hmm. And the kid's alive. <laughs> it's a really hot train. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but, but it's not so hot when you're being dragged, dragged behind it, repeatedly being beaten by lawyers with ungreased dildos. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I guess... Um, Your I- values are meaningless to you. They're talking points. At the moment, look, I mean, I get it. I'm, I'm not t- saying you're a bad person. I'm not saying you can't achieve integrity in the future. But your values are meaningless to you. Uh, pretty face, tits and ass, you throw them to the wayside. Well, you it, didn't give her an ultimatum called be a decent fucking rational human being or we're done. Yes. Right? You might have had children with this woman. A son with this woman. What would she have done to a son? Even if you'd stayed married, what would she have taught him? Oh, God. And what would that son have done looking at the crazy relativistic bullshit insanity of his mom and you, whatever your values are in reality, I don't know. Would that have been a fun environment to grow up in for your children? No, of course not. No. Your cock is for reproduction. It's not your personal plaything of lever pull and fun. 
It is for making children. And your children get to say who you have sex with because they're the ones who are going to come out of that process. And if your son would not want this woman as a mom, you had no business being with her. I'm giving it to you straight up here, man. Yeah. It's not your personal plaything. I know there's all this hedonism and, you know, go have sex and go have fun. And she was hot and she was pretty. But seriously, your children, what would she have done to a girl? What would she have taught your daughter about the world and about the patriarchy and about race and about you? Daddy's a racist. Yeah. Daddy doesn't believe women who've been raped. He thinks they're lying. There's no such thing as truth, honey. There's no such thing as reality, honey. Everything's relative, honey. The government should be in control of just about everything, honey. Shh, dad's home. We never had this conversation. You don't have the right to subject a child to that. Do you understand? Yeah, of course. You don't. No, you don't get it. You're giving me this glib. Yeah, sure. No, no, of course. But that's where you were heading. One broken condom. One sperm jack. One event. And that's where exactly you would have. You were really, really playing with some serious kryptonite here. Now, you don't have the right to put a child in that situation. You understand? Yeah. What's your age range? Um, between she and I? No, no, just like a, you in your 20s, your 30s. I don't uh, know the exact uh, age. but mid, Mid-20s. Mid-20s. Okay, so it, it's time to get a little fucking serious with your life, right? Right. She was going to be a stay-at-home mom. And I'm going to be perfectly blunt here. So I apologize if I offend anyone, but um, I'm just trying to be as honest as I can. If she wanted to be a stay-at-home mom, what did she do for a living? Uh, she Right now she's going to school. At the time, um, she was working in the, at a cafe. She was working in a cafe? Yes. So pretty. Oh, my God. And what, dare I ask, was she going to school for? Um, I'm not sure. I think it's just like gen ed stuff. Um, I don't well, think she's doing You're not like sure. A... You lived with her, right? Yeah, she started going to school after we uh, broke up. Oh, sorry, sorry. Okay, okay. And she's just going for what? General artsy shit? I believe so, yeah. LARPing is an academic. Okay, that's the last time until the next time. Um, well, maybe you helped shake her out of her doldrums in the cafe or whatever. But yeah, she was. Uh, she she had very very important thoughts. And now, did she read much? Do you know if she read much philosophy or polit- politics or economics or any anything like that? No, nothing like that. Okay, so she had a lot of opinions without any facts, without any. Learning, education. Correct. Right. So, 
I mean, that's that's almost like why even engage, right? Well, I mean, on that note, I was hoping that I could. No, no, I mean, just engage in conversation about this, right? Like if, well, if, if I speak Japanese and someone comes up pretending to speak Japanese, I don't try and engage them in a conversation. I say, you don't know how to speak Japanese. Sorry, honey. <laughs> you know, and, and if she's got all of this, oh, I believe this and I believe that. It's like, well, you haven't studied it. You, you can't defend your arguments. Like, stop. Just you're embarrassing yourself. This is not, <laughs> this is not, you know, make me a latte. Sure. Um, let's have sex. Sure. And maybe there's other things she's a great conversationist about. But, uh, you know, smart people, people who know stuff used to just push, push back at people like this and say, no, no, you don't. Sorry. You don't, you don't know what you're talking about. Um, you just, you're just repeating a bunch of mainstream points with no, no understanding, no, no, no brain, no, no integrity, no knowledge. So no, I'm, I'm not even going to discuss these things with you because you have no clue what you're talking about. Now, here's some books you can read if you want to start having conversations about it. And it doesn't have to be this show or it can be any number of things. It can be Plato for all I care. But why pretend to have a conversation with someone who self-confessedly has a bunch of opinions with no facts behind them? Oh. We need Wait, to keep, I'm... we need to push people out of realms that they're not good at. You know, if they let me join the Bolshoi Ballet, they're not going to do very well. <laughs> right? Because nobody's going to want to buy, well, maybe a few people, <laughs> not many people are going to buy tickets to, to watch me do the dance macabre, Right. So smart people say, no, nah, you, you know, I mean, you, you got a bunch of opinions, but you don't know what the hell you're talking about. I mean, if I go to a physics conference and just start rambling on about my various things, I'd be like, what are you doing here? This is, sorry, this is a physics conference. I don't know what you're trying to do, but it's got nothing to do with physics. So I'm afraid we're going to have to call security. People who just spout off bullshit when they have no clue what they're talking about need to be not engaged with because they don't know. This is the Dunning-Kruger effect. She thinks she's being wise and deep and smart and, <laughs> and, and all informed and she doesn't have a clue. Doesn't have a clue. And this would be if she agreed with you but didn't have a clue either, right? Yeah. Yeah, of course. Okay. So we need to we need to tell people who don't know stuff that they don't know stuff. That that's kindness to them, right? Pretending they know stuff when they don't. Yeah. It might get you laid, but then it's gonna have your heart broken. Cause I can tell you why you're sad, why it's hitting you more than it hits most other people. If you want. Yes. Yeah, I do. Because you betrayed yourself. You betrayed your values. You betrayed virtue. You betrayed your integrity. And it's fine. Listen, it's fine. I'm not trying to condemn you. Everybody does it from time to time and to different degrees. This could have been a whole lot worse. But you have these values. And these values were completely overturned by a pretty face. You hated this woman's values. This woman's values are the enemy of your values. None can, not two could end up standing in the same room in the same culture after a while, right? They are diametrically opposed. Right. And you convinced yourself either that she would change or you could change her despite not having any evidence that, that she would change. She's got no methodology by which she could change. You can convince people of better ideas if they have some respect for reason and evidence. If they just have feels and opinions and bullshit, how could you possibly? It's like trying to sculpt fog. You, you, there's no purchase. There's no, how fast can the car hanging in midair go? Well, wheels are turning. 
They're just not touching anything. And this is all very clear to you. And you've listened to this show. This is all very clear to you. And listen, I know it's tough. I know it's hard when philosophy cock blocks you. I know it. But it's trying to save your ass. Yeah, I always... I, yeah, I listen, I've made compromises in the past. And I've also had significant romantic interest in women whose values I oppose when I was younger. And it's a grit your teeth thing. I remember uh, being, being really interested in this woman and she was out of a relationship a little while back ago. She was still pining and she was saying, oh, this guy, the most charismatic socialist I ever knew, I still miss him. Jack! <laughs> Sorry, I'm not screwing the blender. Can't do it. Not putting my wang in the pencil sharpener. Not that it would fit, you understand. <laughs> but no. <clears throat> oh, that's so good. Right? Can't do it. Can't do it. I can't do it. And it's tempting, don't get me wrong. We're not born to have integrity. We're born to have sex. We're, we're born to reproduce. So have, holding integrity as higher than the eggs is really tough. It's really tough. Well, um, sorry, can I interject? Yeah, yeah. So I, I feel like um, I, I was not, no, I didn't stick to my guns. I didn't stick to my um, beliefs. Um, but I... I think that's because I traded them for companionship. It wasn't, it wasn't just like this. No, no. Oh God, man. She's a 9.5. Don't fucking talk to me about companionship. My life will never be long enough to waste time on that bullshit. If she was an elderly Asian gentleman with, who thought you were a racist, would you invite him to move in? No, no. Oh, come on you're out of the haze now when you get involved in someone romantically you get six months or so of endorphins that's the happy joy juice that hopefully creates the bonding that has the baby that then you have to stay together with because of the baby it was the sex it was the sexual attraction which can't last it doesn't last it's a drug you understand and when she walked away my friend when she walked away from you, she took the drug, and Nate, she took your integrity. And now, at least at this particular moment in time, you have neither. You sold your integrity for sex, and now you have neither. Doesn't mean you can't get your integrity back or anything like that, but we at least have to be very honest with each other because honesty is the most necessary first step in any kind of integrity. If you lie to yourself, you can never have integrity. She was a horrible person with a great body. Because I know that values come from very, very deep places within people. They may manifest themselves on the top as socialist or feminist or whatever. But people who are that cliched, you understand she's a cliche. Yeah. People who are that cliched, people who are that empty, people who conform to nothingness to that degree, to, to virtue signaling, social compliance, they have no identity. They have no personhood. They have no individuality. They're certainly not individuated in that they think for themselves based on reason and evidence, right? Right. 
She didn't exist. Sex dolls have more reality because at least they don't hate fuck your values, right? <laughs> yeah. Hmm. So when she left, she took the sexual drug, the romantic drug. Men go insane. I've ignored warning signs. Don't get me wrong. I'm not putting myself in any pedestal here. I'm right down here in the trenches with you, my brother. I really am. This is, this is, look at my war wound. <laughs> this is the scene in Jaws. We're all comparing scars, right? <laughs> but she took the big V and your self-respect. And this is information. This is not condemnation. This is information. Nate, you, like every other man in the known universe, has, oh, guess what? A weakness for a pretty face. And you thought you could have the pretty face and no integrity and make it work. And reality and philosophy have both slapped you on the face and said, doesn't happen that way, Nate. Doesn't happen that way. You can't sustain a relationship with diametrically opposite values. You know that, right? It can't sustain. Either she gives up her bullshit or you give up your truth. Now, if you give up your truth, what's left? You can't conform because you've had the truth. You become less. At least she's a comfort. At least she's water. She can pour herself in any fashionable container. You got nothing. Once you have integrity, it's integrity or a bust. You don't, there's no plan B. You can't, there's no fallback position. I have become a solid, but I can still be poured into any container. No, no. Once you become a solid... You can't become a liquid again. You can't. This is not ice in springtime. You have structure. You have individuation. And your genetics are telling you to have sex with the most physically attractive woman. I understand that. And that makes sense. Because, of course, in the past, value conflicts were not a very big deal. You understand? When we were all evolving in... Tribes of a couple of dozen people, maybe 50 people, maybe 75 people, everyone believed the same shit anyway, right? There was not this big thing, well, I'm a socialist, says Grog, but I'm really interested in this girl who's a communitarian, agrarian, <laughs> Venus de Milo project person, right? This didn't happen. Everyone was raised in the same values, Now we have multiculturalism with added evil, right? <laughs> so we're not, we don't have a big defense called, well, she doesn't share my values because that just didn't evolve that way. People who totally rejected the values of the tribe, well, they got killed or banished, right? <laughs> and so they just weren't around in the sexual marketplace and certainly for women. I mean, you think of some little village in, in Greece in 1920, Everyone's Greek Orthodox. They all have the same values. So we're not used to saying no to happy for JJ because of value conflicts. It's not how we're evolved. That's one of the fundamental reasons we have that weakness. It wasn't a weakness, but rather a strength in the past. Because that's basic tribalism. Everyone has the same values, right? But now... You move 
in dangerous waters. You're not in a pool, you're in the ocean. In the pool, there are swimming rings. In the ocean, there are sharks. And they'll take your fucking leg off if you're not careful. Now, that's good in a way, because out of that conflict, we get growth and progress and all that kind of stuff. But you know that sex overturned your values. Sexual access, sexual pride. You know, if she's a 9.5, you look pretty good, right? There's, there's the, um, the trophy aspect as well, right? Mm-hmm. Your sexual market value rises, which gives us more endorphins, more happy joy juice in the brain. But she, her values were everything you despise, right? Everything that you oppose, are opposed to, everything that is your fundamental enemy. She gets her way in life. Her values gain ascendancy. What does your life look like if her values pass into law? Short. Yeah, amen to that, right? Amen to that. And so you say you feel spite for the woman I loved and still have, uh, have ill will towards her. Well, yeah, because you're enemies. <laughs> Sorry. You know, that, that lion certainly did try and chew my leg off. It's true, says the zebra, but, you know, I just I can't quite forgive. No, don't forgive. <laughs> don't forgive at all. Because <laughs> next, if you give, you try and hug the next lion, it's going to take your neck off. How, how on earth could you yeah. hope she's doing well and is happy? Her values are diametrically opposed to yours. Only one of you gets happiness. <laughs> right? Pursue the truth. Submit yourself to reason and evidence. Live with integrity. Be honest. Okay, if that gets you happiness, she can't be happy. If she's happy, you're kind of in the wrong in many ways, right? I mean, reason equals virtue equals happiness. It's not always direct, but there should be some progression. Nobody wants to be a philosopher out of pure masochism, right? It should bring us some happiness, right? Yeah. So how on earth could you want her to be doing well? There are people in my past, I'll tell you, Nate, straight up, there are people in my past who have the opposite values. I hope they're miserable. I know they're miserable. <laughs> I'm happy. Good. I, I did my best to try and help them. They didn't want to listen. Now they live with the consequences. I don't want them to do well. I sure as hell know they don't want me to do well. Because we're enemies. You can't want your, you can't want your team to win and the other team to win as, in the same way. You understand? You can't be effective that way. You have to want to win and the other team to lose. You can't be in a boxer in a ring. You can't be a boxer in a ring saying, well, I hope, I hope I get knocked out as much as I hope I knock the other guy out. You understand? You're going to lose. Yeah. I'm not getting through to you at all. No, no. It, it makes perfect sense. You're not connecting to this at all. Yeah. I'm not trying to make fun of you. I'm just I'm pointing out this. I'm getting that this is not. Which means that we haven't gone deep enough. That's fine. I can go a little deeper. You said this is a recurring theme throughout my past relationships. So, my friend Nate, who in your childhood models this lack of integrity as a value? Yes, I'm sorry, what was that? Who in your childhood modeled this lack of integrity as a value? 
Um, you don't get this fluid at self-betrayal without a very, very strong model in your mind. Mainly both of my parents. And how did that uh, manifest? Well, uh, they divorced when I was 15. My mother was always very... Um, my, mother, my mom was uh, pretty abusive, uh, physically, verbally, all that. And uh, my dad was as well, I guess. Um, but they divorced, and um, then I lived with my dad for about two years. And then he moved um, across the state at the time uh, to live with this uh, woman who's now his wife. And I didn't want to move. I was 19 at this time. And I didn't want to move, so I had a, I asked a friend, and um, he let me stay with him for a while. And I've been on my own. Why did you want to move with your father? What did you think of his uh, new flame? I didn't. I didn't know her that well. I didn't really care to. I just didn't want to be. I didn't want to leave my hometown and leave my friends. And did your mother have boyfriends after she divorced your dad, or they got divorced? Um, a couple. Not and what did you think of them? I didn't like them, but it was that was just more of like a I don't like you because you're not my dad thing, which is reasonable. But um, wait, so they they were good men. Oh, no, I just happened to want to date a woman who beat her son. But they were good men. They were okay men. They were fine men. They just were fine dating a woman who wanted to beat her son. No, I I have no idea. I'm sure they weren't good men, but. uh, I can tell you they weren't good men. (laughs) I can tell you that this is not archaeology. This is not a mystery. They, I mean, I've seen your adverse childhood experience score, and I'm incredibly sympathetic towards it. But, uh. Yeah, not 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 the kindest of parents uh, in the room. Um, and so the man who wanted to date your mom, how pretty was your mom? Um, she was about, I would say, seven and a half-ish. And your dad? Um, <laughs> maybe like a six, six and a half. Now, the seven and a half for your mom, was that when she was younger or when she was older? When she, when she was younger. So I guess um, when she was older, probably went down to like a six, six and a half. Well, it's a rolling scale, right? So, so your dad had lower sexual market value than your mom, right? Right. In conflicts, in value conflicts between your parents, um, how, did, how did they play out? Um, well, my dad actually came out as an atheist to my mom. Um, this is probably a year before they got divorced, so I must have been 14 or so. And uh, they would um, they'd fight about that at night all the time. Um, how the fights went, usually my mom would just be crying. Um, my dad would... Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, I didn't really hear what they said specifically. I could just make out noises because my, my bedroom was uh, right next to theirs. Are you an atheist? Yeah. Right. I don't... So your father tried to... Um, I assume that they had some conflicts about the existence of God or the value of religion or whatever. So your father tried to convince your mother to come across to his position, right? Right. And your mother proved immovable and then left him. No, actually, my dad left my mom. Your dad left your mom, okay. Mm-hmm. And do you know why in particular he left your mom? Uh, yeah, for, for some reason, after being married to her for nearly 20 years, he 
decided that her being abusive wasn't okay, even though he was as well. And, uh, yeah, just one day. Oh, her being abusive towards you? Yeah. And yeah, mainly me. I got the brunt of it. My dad always said, um, yeah. So I, I don't know what triggered it in him, but, uh, after almost two decades, he finally divorced her. I don't know. It took him pretty long. Do you know why? Well, I mean, it's not, I mean, I, I could be wrong, but Nate, it doesn't seem to me too complicated why it happened. Why? Well, you said you were 15, right? Mm-hmm. You getting big? Yeah. It's getting older. Your dad getting older? Yeah. Ooh, my son's getting big and I'm getting older. Now, abuse is really, really bad. <laughs> Because now I'm not hitting down. Now I'm hitting up. Ooh, I think I have found my peaceful spot right about the same time as my son gets big enough to fight back. Hmm. Never really thought about that. Oh, this is an ancient male instinct. You beat up on your kids, they get big, you get gone. And then you play the victim to disarm the anger of your son. Was the girl you dated religious at all? No, uh, sort of, I guess. Sorry, her. Um, she would occasionally like look into Wiccan stuff and do spells, but I, she wasn't. She like, would occasionally look into what? Wiccan stuff like witches, witchcraft and whatnot. Um, okay, I said religious, not nuts. <laughs> so she tried. Oh my god! Fuck. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like, no, we don't. Oh, she I, tried to do spells. Yeah, and I, <laughs> I asked her once if she honestly believed in it, and she said, "I don't know." <laughs> so, so did did you catch her doing spells? No, no. Did she tell you she was doing spells? Yeah. <laughs> and what was she, what spells was she trying to do? Oh, I, I have no idea. I was not interested enough in it. You understand this makes the guy with the water buffalo look like Hugh Hefner, right? <laughs> An atheist dating a witch. <laughs> An atheist dating a witch. Oh, I know. Spine be gone. Balls be in my purse. Ah, my spell has worketh. <laughs> Seriously, an atheist dating a witch. Well, <laughs> I don't think she was like, honestly. No, no, committed no, to... no, no. <laughs> Please don't. Please don't try and defend the Wiccan witch caster. No, no, no. I'm just saying why I continued the relationship despite all this. Oh, no, no. We know why you continued the relationship. Oh. Family history and sexual desire. That, that, that. If we haven't got that, I haven't even been opening my mouth in the conversation yet. Oh, no. And how many of your relationships, you said in your letter, the recurring theme throughout my past relationships? Do you mean romantic relationships or other relationships? Uh, romantic relationships. And what is the what is the theme? Is the theme the ill will, or is the theme that there are these opposing values? 
the ill will, the feelings, but of, not opposing values. Um, no, usually I'm, opposing values are in there as well. But um, yeah, I, I was I was more referring to the ill will and in spite. I've never. Okay, so have you dated women before where you share values uh, in common and and respect and and treasure each other's values? Well, I didn't really have defined values until, um, I would say, probably three or four years ago, when I actually started giving a shit. Um, okay, so how many relationships have occurred in the last four years? Hang on. Um, two. Two serious relationships, including this. And how many non-serious relationships? Uh I would guess eight to ten. You're not sure, right? No. And are these one night stands or short flings or what? Uh, yeah, the the non serious ones were um kind of one night stands. I was I was promiscuous. Oh no, I get it, I get it. And um, the two rela- longer relationships, how long did they last? Um, so this one was this most recent one was like eight or nine months. Uh, the one the other serious relationship was. About the same amount of time, maybe a bit shorter, seven or eight months. And what values did you have in common with the other? There's two, right? Including this one that just ended or ended recently. Um, how many values did you have in common with the other woman you dated for a longer period of time? Uh, she honestly wasn't that bright. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know how else to phrase that, but um, I never really learned her values. Um, which I know sounds awful, but uh, we never really had serious discussions. But you didn't respect her intelligence? No. And did you think she was dumb or just uninformed or what? Um, I thought she uh, didn't care. I thought she was apathetic um, towards those things. And I was hoping, again, to share with her what I believed and um, see where it went from there that that she didn't really listen though whenever we would have conversations she there wasn't a lot of uh, input from her no I get it and what uh, what happened to the end of that Uh, she had a really bad drinking problem and uh which I I didn't know about. It's it's. Going into did it. you ask the second one to cast a spell to help drive the drinking demons away? Sorry, go on. <laughs> she had a so she wasn't very smart, mm-hmm. but on the other hand, she did have a really bad drinking problem. So okay, go on. <laughs> right. Um. And yeah, she drove, um, drunk, once with me in the car, and uh, it happened once. And I told her once we got back to my house, I I told her you you can never do this again. I'm not okay with this. I'm not comfortable with this. And it happened again. So I, I ended it with her. Did you report her? No. Why not? Uh, didn't. Or do you just think when she fucking drives home with some brained kid on her fender that uh, that won't be on you? I didn't think about it.
it's on you. Right? You you, you didn't do anything about a woman driving 6,000 pounds of metal at high speeds while drunk. I'm, I'm trying to save you from a catastrophic moral disaster, Nate. If you find out she plowed into some kid while she was drunk driving, which is information you have, but other people don't, how are you going to feel? Awful. Yeah. You, you understand you're, 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 you're putting yourself in serious danger here. Yeah. Well, that, that's, that's why I ended up with her. I wanted to just get away. No, no, no. <laughs> that's not what I'm talking about. You got a socialist feminist who calls you a racist, wants to be a witch and wants to be a single mom. You're having sex with her. She's willing to say that women who make rape charges should always be believed. You've got this woman driving drunk with a drinking problem. You don't know how many times she might have driven drunk. Which puts you in the moral responsibility of now you're the guy who knows she drives drunk and the other people don't. So now you've got a moral burden. Might she could kill someone. And I could is the that. sex is the sex really worth it with these women? I mean, no, it's not. Um, but I don't know. I um. I mean, I I know it's not, but which there, I mean, there shouldn't really be a but there, but in the moment, I don't really, I can't really like think of anything else. I can't really care about anything else besides, uh, (laughs) sex. Right. Raised in a fairly chaotic or a selected environment, I would assume. I mean, the sex drive would be, I'm guessing, fairly high. Yeah. But it's putting you in significant danger. Significant danger. It's, um, you know, you. <laughs> here's the fundamental paradox that you need to understand. This is why you're not having any effect on these women or yourself. Nate, you need to get this. Need to get this. Forget everything else I said. You just need to get this. You want these women to overcome their emotions and think rationally, but you can't even overcome your own sex drive and think rationally. You're asking them to do something you're not doing. The difference being that this one woman casting spells, who gives a shit? She's crazy. They're not, they don't work. But you're the one who's in much greater danger other than the drunk driver woman. You're the one who's in much greater danger. You're demanding other people put reason and evidence above their emotions, above their feelings, above their impulses. You understand? I'm being hypocritical. You're not modeling that behavior. This is why you're so susceptible to hypocrites. 
You must let go of your emotions and think rationally and objectively. And I really want you to think about the consequences of your actions and the universality of your propositions. You're a crazy witch. You're a drunk driver. Let's have sex. Fuck the consequences. Fuck all the evidence. Fuck all the red flags. I want some discharge. This is why you're trapped in this hell. You can't demand of other people what you are not willing to do yourself. I mean, you can, but it doesn't work. You can't ask other people to be rational at the expense of emotion if you can't stay away from crazy women because you want sex. What you're doing is more dangerous than what these women are doing and all you see are their irrationalities and their hypocrisies, do you see? They should control their feelings. Think rationally. But you're only there to tell them to do that because you do the opposite. You won't control your feelings. You respond to sexual impulse when there's every single reason in the known universe to run screaming. You're standing in front of these women, telling them to put reason above emotion. But you're only standing there making that case because you're willing to put emotion above reason. What you say is entirely contradicted by everything you do with these women. You being present to make the case for them to be rational. That presence only exists because you're being anti-rational. You yourself. And because you only see the irrationality in them, they see the irrationality in you. You lecture them to think critically and clearly and not just surrender to feelings. And they're looking at you saying, come on, buddy. Come on, Nate. Don't give me that bullshit. You're only here because you're doing the exact opposite of what you tell me is the good. Hmm. You're riding in on a horse telling everyone, Riding horses is about the worst thing a person can do. The wonder isn't why they left. The wonder is why they stayed. And because you don't know this about yourself, and I don't mean this in any critical way, Nate. I'm not trying to tear you down here at all. At all. But because you don't know this about yourself, you are in grave danger of being trapped here. I don't think you understand the degree to which hypocrisy was modeled in your life when you were growing up. Did your parents ever hit you for hitting someone? Uh, probably they would hit me for a lot of reasons. Right. But usually it was with some moral excuse. You didn't listen, you disobeyed, you talked back, you stole, you you were rude to someone, you did, you know, whatever. There's usually some moral Story, some mythology mm -hmm. behind it, right? Right, right. 
So you were punished for morality and now you punish others with morality. You were punished through a a self-defeating act of moral hypocrisy. And now you embody a self-defeating act of moral hypocrisy, demanding that other people think critically and rationally and rise above their feelings when you won't. Mm. And again, this is modeled behavior. You're not guilty of this until you understand it. That's why I'm working so hard to have you see it. You're not guilty of this until you understand it. You have no guilt or shame in the past for this until you see it, right? Choice, morality, these are dependent on our comprehension, our understanding. No one can run an obstacle course with the lights off. Hmm. Have you talked to your parents about your objections to how they raised you? No, I've uh, mostly cut off contact with them. I'm sorry to hear that, but I understand. I I, I moved across the country, actually. <laughs> right. But you don't want to keep reproducing all this stuff, right? Right. No, I don't. If you have a core moral hypocrisy that you're not aware of, and just, I don't want you to come out of this conversation thinking that you're a bad person or you're a hypocrite, right? Please, I don't want that. This is, this is a contradiction, which until you're aware of it, you're not really responsible for. And of course, there's a lot in your history that would help you hide this from yourself. A lot in society that helps you hide this. But you don't want to get stuck here. When you have a core moral hypocrisy, you always end up having to be around people who are more obviously moral hypocritic, morally hypocritical, so that you can hide your own, right? Because you focus on the moral hypocrisy of other people. Oh, this woman, she's a socialist and a feminist. She calls me a racist. She's right. I mean, she's she's just not sensible. She's not hypocritical. She's not consistent. She doesn't have integrity. She's hypocritical, right? She forgives Bill Clinton and condemns Bill Cosby and then calls me a racist, right? I mean, she, right? But you focus on the other person's hypocrisy so you can ignore your own. Yeah, I thought I thought that by pointing out other people's hypocrisies, it made me. And like every time I would do that, I'd be like, "See, you are rational." Like you know, I'd be thinking that to myself. Like, you can you clearly see the hypocrisy in what they're doing. So since you can see all of this stuff that other people can't see, there's no way you're acting hypocritical. Right, right, and of course you can't solve their hypocrisies because the goal of this emotional interaction is not to solve their hypocrisy but to hide yours from yourself Hmm. which is why you need them and you can't leave them even though they're antithetical to their values or antithetical to your values but you can't leave them because the purpose is to hide your own hypocrisy not to fix them or to fix you which is why you can't get out You know, if, if, if I go into a restaurant, not because I want some food, but because it's cold outside and I need to warm up. Like I remember the first time I went to China, the year 2000, I went from Morocco to China. <laughs> I love being in countries. I can't read a damn sign. But um, I went from Morocco to China 
And I first night I got there, I'd spent 18 hours on a plane, flew to Vancouver and then to Beijing. And um, it was so unbelievably cold. I was walking down, I wasn't really prepared for it that much. And my stuff was still getting to the hotel, but I had to walk. I've been sitting for so long. And I walked down to Tiananmen Square, past all these giant... Anyway, I went and I went into this... Like, it was so cold. I went into this hotel. Not because I wanted to stay in the hotel, but because it was really, really cold outside. <laughs> like, can I help you? You already have, because I'm dying out there from the cold. I'm not too susceptible to cold, but this was just ungodly. Anyway, I'm just literally. But I'm not there to check in. I'm there to warm up. Right, so I appreciate the heat, but they're not getting any money out of me. And you're not in there to solve other people's hypocrisy. You're there to avoid your own. Hmm. Which a lot of people do, and, and there's nothing wrong with it, and it's, it can be fixed, and it's not, you know, condemnatory, because this is how you grew up, right? But you can't save people if your fundamental mission is hiding from yourself, hiding from your own issues. So I would suggest, if you can talk to a therapist, talk to a counselor, I can point out logical patterns. I'm not a therapist in any way, shape, or form, but if you do talk to a therapist, which I think would be a very good idea, a very good investment, I mean, think of how much money you spent on this woman, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, how much did you spend on her, roughly? Um, Including half rent if she didn't pay, all that stuff. No, we, we did split rent, but um, throughout, like, I don't know, buying drinks and food and going out and whatnot, um, at least, like, a thousand. Right. Okay. Well, that's, that's quite a bit of therapy if you get the right therapist at the right price. And uh, I trying to build this big giant wall of integrity around your heart because <laughs> right? I don't want you to get your heart broken anymore. You're a quarter century and you've had a quarter century of heartbreak at home and, and, and in dating and all of that. And I don't want you to get sperm jacked. I don't want you to get an STD and I don't want you to get your heart broken. I want you to get married if you want and have kids if you want and be a good husband and a good father. Mm-hmm. And to be able to look yourself in the mirror and say, I'm free of trying to, of pretending to help others when I'm really hiding from myself, which harms everyone involved. So rather than crossing your fingers for the next one and spending another thousand or two thousand or more, you, know, you end up with a single mom and getting dragged through the court system, you're at like, what, a quarter million dollars over 20 years? Who knows, right? Could be more. Therapy is cheap. <laughs> Therapy is cheap. I spent $20,000 on therapy, <laughs> the cheapest and best investment I've ever made in my life. <laughs> um, so, yeah, my, my suggestion would be take all the money you had set aside for your next relationship, spend it on a therapist, and then you get to fall in love. Hmm. Yeah. Thanks for the call, man. I appreciate it. I wish you the very best, and hopefully you'll let us know how it goes, but we're going to move on to the next caller now. All right. Up next, we have Jennifer. Jennifer wrote in and said, should the public be able to participate in the ethical debate of women in combat before such policies are implemented? She's referring specifically to some testimony 
regarding General James Mattis uh, from Hawaiian, a Democratic senator who asked Mattis if there is anything quote-unquote innate in women and gays that would undercut their ability to be part of a lethal force. Mattis simply answered, no. Although I think General Mattis was playing chess here, his response was in a sense wrong. Yes, there is something innate in a woman that hinders her ability to be part of a lethal force. Most obviously, her natural design to carry a child, the uterus. That's from Jennifer. All right, Jennifer, take on the good general. I'm, I'm certainly happy to hear the case, uh, and I, uh, I have my own thoughts, but uh, let's get yours uh, 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 front and center first. Okay. Um, I, I read through the comments when I was on last time, and they said I talked way too slow, so I'll be quick this time. And um, <laughs> I think your something audience... I, something I rarely hear about myself, but go on. I think your audience likes really fast talkers. So um, I just want to make real real quick four points that General Mattis, um, he's also known as Mad Dog Mattis, um, he, his priority that he mentioned and is part of his answers in this congressional hearing was that um, he believes that his, the force should be the most lethal. Um, he said, and I quote, my belief is that we have to stay focused on a military that is so lethal on the battlefield that it will be the enemy's longest day and their worst day when they run into that force. And so these and, women, and hopefully their shortest day, but yeah, okay. Right. And so these women, and also I really, I respect General Mattis. I don't know him, and but I know about him, and he is a student of history. He's, I consider him an expert in military and broad history because he, he understands history and he understands how China, for instance, and Russia train their elite forces and they respect strength, stamina, endurance, and lethality. Um, that's a priority to them to cons- to maintain the, the lethal stance of their forces. And we are being asked to basically make um, a, a um, experimentation out of our military forces, experimenting them uh, with vaccines, and then now with, you know, trying to replace men with women in combat, and not to mention, sorry, but SSRIs. I mean, soldiers are often given this stuff by the handful. Yes, and on the average, I think I, I read recently that on average they're on four, four different uh, pharmaceutical medications when they get out: a sleeping aid, um, something for anxiety, something for constipation, and then an anti-depressant. Um, which basically all of that, in some ways, added together, will make them suicidal. We've, we're finding, and so um, that's a whole nother story, but. I'm just finding that these women have no idea what they're talking about. Yes, they're senators. Um, yes, they're concerned about women's rights, but they have absolutely... <laughs> I'm sorry. They have no idea what they're talking about. Yes, they're senators. To me, if you're a senator, it seems very unlikely you're going to know anything about what you're talking about. But anyway, go on. Really? I, I just, I think... They're Joseph talk- McCarthy accepted. Please go they're watch. They're talking Joseph to this McCarthy. general. <laughs> they're talking to this general, and they're acting like they understand... Uh, combat it they understand combat combative strategy and things like that and they're they're arguing about something that is it doesn't relate and so my whole point was that i believe that we've lost our moral compass to encourage women into combat there's a moral argument against it an ethical a physiological argument um but you know i noticed that the lethality argument 
is really there's no compromise with it because how how do you argue that a woman can be more lethal than a man yes there are exceptions but in general if you want the most lethal force then you must you know you must not compromise that a man has more strength more endurance more stamina and he's more lethal and so yes there's something innate in a woman that it affects the lethality of our forces, and we need to consider that. Well, sorry, I just want to sort of mention too um, that uh, men um, view themselves as more disposable than women uh, in many ways, and that disposability can be an asset in wartime. But sorry, go ahead. Right, and I think you know they're they're more prone to bravery and courage, and you know, and and sacrifice in some sense. And I've also seen that seen that in women, but. What, what about, how, how do we even consider this where we look, what about your sister, your daughter, your wife, your mother? Do you really want them on the front line getting two shots in the head, one in the heart? I mean, it's hard enough to lose men, but now we want, we, we're, we're losing our conscience to say, yeah, just let them go ahead and go forward. And in a libertarian sense, I'm I'm okay with the fact that there are these exceptional women. Yes. However, and perhaps the freedom to have a choice, you know, is really what it's about. But to I think that if we're going to ask women to be in combat, I think we've just lost it and they're already moving to sterilize women because obviously menstruation is a hindrance and then I I hate to break it to everyone, but Women and men have sex on combat deployments and women get pregnant and they might not know they're pregnant. So are we really, do we really care about women or, and, and the potential of a child that's in that uterus and where that woman might not know that it's there? Or are we just... Well, and if, if they have morning sickness, who's to distinguish it from the reaction to your typical MRE? But anyway, go on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I just... When I saw them asking him that question, I thought, it's just, they have absolutely no idea what they're talking about. And, and, and they are, they're hurting our military by pushing this agenda. And it, we need to consider that. We need to look at the science. There's really good science out there. The, um, the Marine, let's see, the Marine Corps Times put out, um, kind of a mixed thing. And then there's also a really good, um, the musculoskeletal injuries in military women that was done by Colonel Springer and Major Ross, uh, who's right. an MD, was excellent because it pointed out that women are more prone to pelvic injury and stress fractures and hormonally there's issues. And so the science behind it is really – we need to just get that out in the public and say, hey – How about just peeing? <laughs> right. Right. I mean, it's at, at that level. I mean, but come on. Sorry. No, I just I'm, – I'm looking at – do we understand? I, I know China understands what it means to have a special elite force. I know Russia understands this. We have we just lost our minds. We need to to stop tapping into what works. I know General Mad Dog Mattis understands history. He understands what works, and he understands what lethality means. And and, and, and the consequences, right? So w women who come back from combat have uh, significantly more mental health issues as well. Right. And, and what about their children? I mean, there's a lot of moms that, 
that get deployed. It affects children too. It's it's not just the woman. It affects their a lot of divorce. I think it's fifty percent right? It's, it might have been gone up. Um, but and this is nothing new. I was reading Beowulf the other day. It was really interesting. I, mean, I know it sounds kind of funny, but it he writes uh, well. Who we don't know who wrote it, but. Um, uh, you know, you're a free domain radio listener who just read Beowulf. You're going to get marriage proposals and flowers. I just just telling you this right now in the comment <laughs> section. But anyway, go on. Uh, I'm not up. I'm not up for sale at this point, and I probably will never be. I'm I'm pretty happy with my husband. But hey, I would recommend Beowulf to anyone else who hasn't read it. But uh, verse 1282 to 1284: No female, no matter how fierce could have come with a man's strength, fought with the power and courage men fight with. And I think this is nothing new. Beowulf, a thousand years ago, must have been referring to a female that they thought was fierce. So there's been these exceptional women, but it it made the point that men, men are exceptional in lethality in strength and stamina endurance not women this is common sense and we are messing with our our um the overall strength and effectiveness of our forces by doing this you know test this test case this test tube scenario and i all i ask for is just give women the freedom to not be in a combat unit and more so i think this is even more important give men in special ops units and elite units the freedom to say no i don't want to serve with with women what if they have a <laughs> what if they have a consci conscientious or a conscience about it what if they say no i really can't handle seeing my you know my buddy in in the foxhole who's a female being shot in the head i can't handle that mentally it's hard enough to lose a male comrade so we have to consider how this is affecting the men it's affecting the morale and the pc this is people have lost their job the dissent is silenced i mean this is honestly no but the mm, sorry people on the left i mean people on the left in general made the rk strategy right people on the left um Sometimes I wonder if they just they don't mind if case selected people get killed. Yeah, let's throw women in the military because you know, and and, and Coulter has a whole book called Treason about this, just about how the left continually makes decisions that get soldiers killed. Um like like there's an arcade competition going on with, with gene selection. But anyway, sorry, go on. I'll I'll be quiet now. No, I I would love to hear your point on on this, your opinion on it. I I think I, I probably know understand it, but from a, don't you think from a libertarian perspective that we we need to start asking for the freedom to choose? So if if we can choose, you know, we don't have a choice so much anymore of what we put in our body. We're starting to get forced to do things now where they say, well, you must do this. You must have this. I mean, in the military, they, they, they can't say no to a vaccine, but can a, can a female say, no, I don't want to be in combat. Can she have that freedom of, you know, to choose that or not? And I, I think they've opened up, I think it was 20,000 or more jobs to combat for women. And they were so excited about it. Women in the media were just so excited and jumping up and down and, and laughing about it. And I thought, this is really sick. What's going on? And, well, the, the, because the women and the women in the military are more on the right. 
and the women in the media are more on the left. So look at that. They're, they're cheering women on the right being put in, in mortal danger. It's, um, I think it's really sick in, in a sense. And the bottom line is, yes, there is an innate value to women that's different from men, that's unique from men. That innate value is centered around the uh, anatomy and the uterus, and we should take that into consideration. And Well, all, all, I, all I hear is how sensitive and empathetic and kind and, and wonderful women are. So wouldn't that impede them slaughtering people uh, like pigs on a battlefield? Um, <laughs> choose one. Either women are just like men, in which case you can't say that women are wonderful, or women do have these extra special, squishy, empathy parts of the brain, in which case aren't they really bad at killing people? I mean, you can't you, – this, having it both ways is an obvious tactic of the left, but it's just ridiculous to anybody who brings an ounce of consistency requirement to the equation. I think logic has just gone out the window and there's just this sick motivation to just do the do the PC thing, you know, and the PC thing is put women in the front and have them shot in the head. And that's it's it's really that brutal and um, or sterilize. Well, it's not just it's not just having the women shot in the head. It's that more men will get shot in the head, too. That's right. Because the men will be protecting women, the men will be defending the women, and the women will get the men into dangerous situations because the women are going to lack the upper body strength and they're going to lack that particular robustness or they're going to get injured or whatever, more so than men. So it's not just that the women are going to get shot in the head, which is terrible enough, but of course, uh, they're also going to cause uh, men to That's right. face this danger as well. That's absolutely right. And and men, you know, I've heard men argue for women in combat, and I think it's really sick that they've... They're so their their brain is not working right. I mean, I think that they've been wooed by some female officer to be convinced that this is a good thing, and they just can't stand up. I think the most compassionate thing that General Mad Dog Mattis can do, the greatest act of of leadership on his part, is to ban women from combat and say, you know what, this isn't good for you, and I'm going to make this decision almost like a father saying, you know what. This is not good, and we need to take. But care. he's not. He's not going to. He's not going to do that in a confirmation hearing. He's not going to make that case. I mean, the media would. I mean, the, the media, a bunch of attack dogs. They salivate over anybody who talks about biological differences between genders or between races or whatever. I mean, people. They just. This is their red flag. They. And what would be the point? He wouldn't get any policies overturned. He would simply, I'm sure, just create such a ruckus about his confirmation that it would impede anything he would want to get done post-confirmation. Absolutely. I mean, unfortunately, um, this is not a, a, an area where uh, he can, I assume, I don't think, I, this is not an area where he can take the kind of leadership that he might want to take. And I don't know, maybe he believes this stuff, maybe he doesn't. I do know that in a free market, um, I don't think that'd be, like a free market army where where people were paying for um, efficiency and were paying for lethality and were paying for camaraderie and uh, didn't want to have massive investments in training um, completely shredded by a woman getting pregnant. Um I, I, I can't imagine there would be women in the front lines, I mean, in a free market army. Um, but of course, women are, are so ridiculously supported by the state that they look a lot more equal to men than they are. Now, again, equality before the law, absolutely. Equality of moral responsibility, absolutely. I have no problem with any of that stuff. Equality of opportunity, absolutely. But um, women's vulnerability called pregnancy is shielded 
from the general public by the welfare state, right? Also known as a single mother state. So women's vulnerability that, that women get taken out of the workforce, that women um, uh, are, uh, you know, knocked out of commission if they want to be decent moms, right? By breast, by being pregnant, by giving birth and by breastfeeding. You know, one child competently raised knocks a woman out of the uh, workforce uh, and out of earning potential for a couple of years, a couple of years. It's, it's you know, 18 to 24 months recommended breastfeeding. So uh, let's just say two two years that, that the woman is out of commission and then maybe she wants to start having another kid, in which case, what's the point of getting a job because you're going to be pregnant and right, all this kind of stuff. So having a couple of kids knocks women out of the workforce and knocks them out of earning potential for, you know, at least half a decade or more. And this vulnerability, the fact that women are incredibly vulnerable, made vulnerable by pregnancy and childbirth, is completely shielded because we've got the welfare state, which steals from the very children the women are having uh, in order to pretend that they're not vulnerable by paying them through the state. Right? So they're not dependent on a man. They're not dependent upon a provider. They don't have to provide services to a husband or to a family because they've got all this free money rolling in. Because everyone's pretending. So, so then this, this whole question of pregnancy and vulnerability is kind of vanished from society. And then anytime you bring it up, it's like it's vaguely sexist to imply that women who are getting two hours sleep a night and breastfeeding constantly might not make the very best murder specialists on the planet. I mean, it's just it, it, we, we live in such a realm of unreality. All of the incentives have some, some ridiculously distorted by the money being extracted generally forcibly from men uh, and being given to women to make things look equal. Look, if women were equal to men, we wouldn't need this massive redistribution of tax money from men to women through the welfare state, through, I mean, all the women who work for the government, through equal pay for work of equal value, all this kind of preferential legislation for women. Uh, mass, I mean, even the old age pensions get disproportionately paid to women relative to what they pay in because they live longer and make less in general. Um, so we wouldn't need all of this massive subsidization of women if women were, in fact, equal in all aspects and indistinguishable from men. Women have strengths and weaknesses. Men have strengths and weaknesses. We fit together well, I think. But um, the differences between men and women, which have been wallpapered over with massive amounts of borrowed and printed money, has dull people's senses to the difference between men and women because if you're a bad businessman but you get a massive subsidy, then you look like you're competing with a good businessman. It's just that's until the subsidy stops. So I think people have been really blinded to all of this stuff. And of course, if feminists really did believe that women were equal, they'd be fighting tooth and nail against forced redistribution of money from men to women because they'd say that would be interfering with equality. That's that's the patriarchy. It's making women dependent on men's money through the power of the state. It's... it's uh, condescending to women is treating them like children because they don't need that because they want all that money transferred. They, 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 they know a lot more about female nature than a lot of people give, give them credit for. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I have no problem with him saying, sure, I mean, you know, women, women in front line. I mean, this is not the place to make the case. He's not going to be the one who's going to be able to make the case. Uh, either people are going to make the case like you and I having conversations like this and people can look up the facts and, and see what happens or, uh, the case is going to be made by a massive disaster militarily that is going to scare the hell out of everyone and have them return to some kind of common sense. 
Okay, that's kind of what I was wondering where you would go because I was trying to understand. I I did see his answer and I thought, yes, he's playing chess and this is just not the time to have the debate, especially when he's sitting at that table and and just being grilled by women who have absolutely no idea what it's like to be in combat. And he was very gracious to those women because he could have been um, rude and said some other things, but... I think he well no he could have just brought up facts that's right and, and right? Oh, the stuff that we've talked about the the fact that cohesion does go down with women around the fact that soldiers make bad decisions to protect women the fact that there's fraternization the fact that women get pregnant the fact that women get more psychologically damaged by warfare by combat uh, the fact that uh, women get more injured in combat the fact that they uh, can't uh, carry as much as men the fact that they I mean these are all just basic facts that everyone knows and nobody is I mean, not everyone knows, but it, it's very easy to find out these facts. But he didn't bring facts to the table because he wanted to get confirmed. And if he wants to have any effect on the efficacy of the military, he's got to get confirmed. And it's a job interview. And, uh, you know, in my opinion, people can say stuff in job interviews that they don't always necessarily 100% believe. Again, I have no idea what this guy believes deep down, uh, but... Um, uh, I'm sure he's aware of some of the information that he was not passing along to the good senatresses. Okay, I I agree, and I think you're right. It was just he was just being very careful and um, cautious with his answer, and I think he probably understands feminism very well and how it has affected the lethality of our military forces and how it. Um, it's causing problems. I think he understands that very well. And he and he did mention that he doesn't have an, an agenda to go in and change things right off the bat. But he did say, if I notice that there is a problem, that something is causing a problem, and he has more than enough scientific studies that will show that this is a problem. And I just hope he, he listens to that and um, saves women's lives in, in the end. So... Do you think that the the problem lies in education? And, and I, I just want to thank you because our last conversation, I was able to uh, really work through some of the curriculum uh, for women's studies um, that I've been working on. And um, I just wanted to thank you for that, uh, that help. Are you there, Stefan? Oh, my pleasure. Oh. Yeah, and sorry, I was. <laughs> I, I didn't want to interrupt. I never tried to interrupt people thanking me You're so- <laughs> because, you know, it's nice, nice to hear. So please continue to thank me, Jennifer. I'm, I'm all ears. Oh, I really appreciated your input because it helped me think through some more of the rationale for I've been finding these connections. Feminism is directly related to the fear-based agendas that's, that are going on. Feminism is related to abortion. It's related to divorce, body image, um, uptick in mm. plastic surgery. It's actually, I just found out recently, it, watching the uh, Vaccines Revealed um, documentary of JFK Jr.'s involved in that, and um, he is working on something, uh, he's very, basically an environmentalist, but he's working on something to let people know about mercury, but um, I think feminism is also related in a lot of ways to vaccines because, and this, you might have some more input on this, women are 
it, women needed to be in the workforce in order to buy the argument that they didn't want to miss work because of the ver- because of uh, the varicella uh, chickenpox vaccine. That's how they sold it. They didn't sell it because it would decrease the amount of chickenpox. Actually, what happened was chickenpox decreased and uh, shingles increased. So because people weren't being exposed to the chickenpox vaccine, and so they were getting shingles earlier and uh, more often. I'm sorry. Ch- ch- sorry, people weren't being exposed to the chickenpox vaccine or the ch- chickenpox virus. Sorry, chickenpox virus. I'm I'm not a okay. Good. <laughs> sorry. I, I, I was with you. I'm following the logic, and I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. Hang on. Sorry. Go ahead. You understand though the difference. There's a difference between the being exposed to the actual virus and then being exposed to the um, antibodies or that. Come well, sure. From. I mean, so otherwise they'd just be injecting you with the disease. So right, that would not be good, right? They needed feminism to be in full force, and that was I think it was in the seventies or 80s that they started really selling that where it was a it was a convenience thing because you wouldn't miss work and that would that probably wouldn't have sold in like the 50s and 40s because women would be like well hey I'm not working I can take care of my kids if they get chicken pox and that's exactly what I'll do is I'll take care of them but they had to have that they had to have women mm. in the workplace to sell that and so, you know, it's all connected. I'm finding all these connections and feminism is dr- Well also kids got kids kids get sicker in daycares. Yes. I mean, uh, also with immigration, right? I mean, especially immigration from third world countries, uh, kids get sicker in daycares and they get sicker around uh, immigrants from foreign places where there are ridiculously foreign bugs, right? I mean, that that's sort of inevitable. And um so, uh, yeah, I mean, there's certainly the need for, for this kind of medicine or whatever you want to call it, vaccines and so on, would have gone up uh, as daycare use went up and as um, um, immigration from third world countries uh, went up. Uh, children are being exposed to stuff that uh, they wouldn't have been exposed to uh, in more homogenous societies with uh, neighbors and, and, and kids. That's interesting. It's just really all related. And I don't think that the public understands how feminism, it's not just this side issue. It's really affected our society as a whole, and it's causing a lot of problems. And it's almost like it's all coming out of the woodwork now after about, you know, 40 years or 50 years of this uh, radical feminism. And we have to face facts and say, okay, this is not good. We need to reassess these women's studies programs in universities. And um, we need to consider what we're doing in the military. We need to consider what we're doing in in our homes and and with children. And I don't mean to be, elect- be lecturing. I'm just saying that it really does affect a lot of aspects of our society. And nobody really is talking about that. Right. No, and I think that the roots and, and manifestations of this go very, very deep and very, very wide. And there's um, so little that's untouched by feminist ideology um, in, in modern discourse in the West. And so much of a historical reaction, not arguments. I mean, arguments against feminism are so often met with a typically female response, like a stereotypically female response. I'm shocked, literally shaking, appalled. I couldn't, I can't breathe. You know, I mean, it's so Victorian uh, that, uh, and of course, there are studies that show that um, that men react to particular situations more analytically and women tend to react more emotionally, which again, both are perfectly valid and perfectly healthy aspects to to humanity and to human nature and can inform each other and women and men together make a great team. 
But um, there is so much about feminism that claims to repudiate traditional femininity but relies on all of the cliches of uh, traditional femininity, um, you know, women's over-emotional natures. And, I mean, it's all, you know, I, I've known, I've known uh, hysterical women far more stable than most feminists when presented with counter-information. But, um, yeah, it is, it is everywhere, which is one of the reasons why it's been such a solid topic uh, on the rotation of what I talk about for uh, so many years. I appreciate it. I, I appreciate you talking about it. And I know, I mean, I don't agree with a lot of probably a lot of what you uh, believe in, Stefan, but I appreciate having someone that has a logical mind about feminism and you can use reason and it's not an emotional issue. It's fairly straightforward. And I just appreciate what you're doing. You're reaching so many people. And um, I got criticized, I think, in the comments of that of the last video for kissing up to you. But I'm not. I, I <laughs> no. um, don't don't comments. I mean, good lord. I'm, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, I I I disagree with you on a lot of things. I'm I'm just saying that sure. this one issue, probably not a lot of things, but this one issue. You know, I just appreciate having someone that has a just a solid look at it and can say, this is the way I think it, it, it is. And we need to consider these things. So, and it's funny, Beowulf, if, if people would just read Beowulf, maybe, you know, just go back a thousand years, even Beowulf knew that women should not be in combat. So what are we doing? Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, we're, uh, it's the great forgetting, right? The modern age is the great forgetting of uh, everything that was carefully gathered and painfully gathered together over the last couple of thousand years. So I'm going to close off the show. Jennifer, thanks so much for the call. Always a great YouTube comments. I mean, <laughs> yeah, water off a duck's back. You know, people will, will say anything. And, and the moment that they see a faction between people, you know, like this is the, oh, do you like this man as a man? It's a bromance. You know, it's like, oh, it's just like, they, they just, oh, you're sucking up. To, you like something that Steph does. You gave him a compliment. You're sucking up to him. They just, all they want to do is take any sort of positive human contact and rip it apart. Not everyone in the comments, but, you know, the usual right. two-bit trolls and all that. So don't uh, forget about all of those people. Just think of the love you live with, the love that I live with, the affection that we have in these conversations, and then uh, think of the lovelessness of this kind of uh, petty um, poop-throwing nonsense. So, uh, uh, no, I look forward to the comments, uh, and uh, I think they're interesting, but, you know, it's, uh, sometimes it does feel a little bit like sifting for gold. Um, so thanks very much uh, for the call. Please uh, call uh, sometime back with a disagreement and let's uh, have a chat about that. I'm certainly uh, aiming to be instructed by my listeners uh, <laughs> as much as I instruct, hopefully. So uh, thanks very much, everyone. Uh, please drop by freedomainradio.com slash donate to help us out with the show. So essential, so important, so necessary. Freedomainradio.com slash donate. Also, you can follow me on Twitter at Stefan Molyneux. Do your shopping at fdrurl.com slash Amazon and check out the podcast at <sighs> fdrpodcast.com. Like, subscribe, and share. And I will talk to you soon.